Welcome to the Cinema in Seconds podcast. This is the podcast where we look at small moments in great movies. My name is Ian. I'm Daniel. And we're riding the popular wave today. (laughs) I was like, I'm not going to interrupt him like Ross did. And then I did it. All right, well, I'm going to welcome you. Evan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, Long time listener, first time time guest. Yeah, it's good to have you. Yeah. You yeah. go back. We're like podcasting uh, veterans. Yes, this is um, our, our our triumphant return. Yeah, to the podcast is... sphere. Yeah, because you guys the used to have new a... diegetic pixels. Yeah, you guys had a podcast together with a few other buddies, right? Mm-hmm. We did. Yeah, his friends are dead now, so you know, rest in peace. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I did so listen I to that podcast, but I will admit, I fast forwarded over the video game stuff. <laughs> that's fair it was a- we're a jack of all trades as long <laughs> as those trades were video games or movies yeah <laughs> hours later yes yeah. so what are we talking about show. today well um we decided that we are going to look at we're going to take a break from cinema for a while <laughs> whoa marty <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna today we're gonna be talking about Marvel movies, specifically like the MCU MCU movies. That's what we're focusing on. Well, yeah. you recently inside baseball for the listeners, you recently remarathoned through all of them. Yeah. Well, I'm not quite so. through them yet, but we just watched Shang Chi the other night, last night, I guess. Um, so that's where I am. But yeah, we were. It was like this weird period where there was like no TV shows we wanted to watch. And uh, my wife and I don't really jive necessarily with movies all the time. But we're like, well, the Marvel is a good middle ground. So we're like, whenever we don't have something to watch, we're like, oh, let's throw on the next Marvel movie. And we just kind of started marathoning it. And Well, that's perfect yeah. because now you, have, you, now you have She-Hulk to watch. Because if you were missing TV shows, now you can, now you can follow along with all those because <laughs> it's like homework now. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, well, I mean, that's another thing to get into then is like, where are we as like, what's our investment level in the MCU in terms of like the movies, the shows, the one shots, the pre, the Netflix shows, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., one that no one, the, the Inhumans, which I don't think anyone watched, but <laughs> uh, it existed. I was like, was there a show called Cloak and Dagger or did I make that up? Yeah, oh, that's, that was a Hulu original, I think. Okay. Yeah. Has it ever come up in any other of the Marvel stuff? No, I think they pretty much <laughs> said all of the TV doesn't count until now. And then they've spent a lot of time, like, breadcrumbing those poor people who are like, who loved Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, like, in every new property, they're like, oh, this is the one, guys. We're going to get. Uh, I don't remember. I don't know any of the characters, but oh, <laughs> we're gonna get uh, uh, Summer Glau or whoever. She's gonna be in the next one. Just watch out. So I, I do feel kind of. I feel kind of bad. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I would. I mean, I I kind of feel it for myself because I didn't. I didn't watch all the Netflix shows, but I did watch Daredevil because I like Daredevil as a character. And I guess that one they've now grandfathered in, sort of. Although it's unclear how much of the sh- like the Netflix show is gonna matter in terms of like continuity and canon. If they're just gonna kind of take the actor 
and the other actors and keep using them, but I don't know. I have no idea how much that stuff's going to matter. Um, I guess you could argue that's always kind of been the case. Like, the Hulk that we get in the first Avengers is pretty far removed from the Incredible Hulk, which itself was, like, kind of a sequel to Ang Lee's Hulk, but not really. Yet, even though they don't fit together that well, you could conceivably trace an arc from Eric Bana Hulk to Ed Norton to Mark Ruffalo. Nothing contradicts, so they, they do kind of mesh. Yeah, that's true. Just tonally, they don't work at all together. Yeah. Evan, where are you at with Marvel? How big of a fan are you? So, so when Iron Man came out in 2008, I was on board. Like, I was a big Spider-Man fan, still am. Um, you know, coming off of like, I don't know what the last one I had seen before that was like Ghost Rider, which at the time was like the best movie that had ever come out. And I don't think that's ever been the case. <laughs> it was when I was 12. I was like, that guy's I can't imagine it was go. even the best movie that came out on the day it was released. <laughs> that's probably true. Um, <laughs> but I was all in and then, you know, Nick Fury showing up and, you know, subsequently... Incredible Hulk came out and Robert Downey Jr. showed up in that and I was like, okay, like we are, we're going, boys. Let's let's do it. You know, I had uh, opening night tickets to the Avengers. Like I was, I've been in this universe since the beginning until about uh, I want to say I want to say Eternals. Actually, I think my downfall started with with Black Widow. Um, I I'm getting kind of tired, guys. I'll be honest. Like I love I love the characters. You know they they can wheel out Toby and Andrew as many times as they need to, and I'll I'll be there. Uh, but you know, the the TV shows now. You're kind of killing you're killing me, Kevin. <laughs> what <do> you think? <laughs> Look how they massacred my boy, you know? Like, well, apparently, like, is Phase 6 supposed to be, like, wrapping up by, like, 2026? Something like I that. I think something really close. I think it's 2025. Like, I think we get two we get two Avengers movies in 2025, and then it's, uh... Okay. I, I don't know. Kevin Kevin knows. He knows everything. He's got a plan, guys. Don't worry about it. It's it, all gonna come back. It does seem back. like we hypercharged, like the sheer volume of production absolutely yeah it's not like the phases mean anything they used to be like you know between the avengers movies but even then they'd cheat they'd be like well it's the one that's after the the last avengers movie we'll just throw that in with it and then and now it's it's completely arbitrary they're like oh this phase is going to end after i don't know the next black panther and then we'll move to the next one it's like what what does that mean (laughs) what what do these mean (laughs) don't mean it and and that's the problem right like phases one through three took place over the course of what 11 years Mm. and you know it was however many movies uh and now phases four through six are what half that right like we're not building like again but they got so much more in a year now yeah i know (laughs) i just they're like movie Pokemon cards at this point. Like I'm just, you got to keep up. I got to collect all of them, and it's it's a lot. See, you I know? will say, I agree, completely, especially with it feeling like overwhelming. 
but in a way that TV shows to me are a blessing because it's easier to be like, okay, I can let go. Yeah. Feel so much easier because I've seen all the films, most of them in theaters. I think the only ones I didn't see in theaters were Incredible Hulk, Ant Man and the Wasp, and Eternals. And I ended up liking Eternals um, more than almost everyone I know. Yeah, I. Um, it's fine. Like, it's like good, I guess. I mean, I'm not gonna like defend it in like a really passionate way. I, I don't okay. think it's cool. it's no Man of Steel, which Chloe Zhao right, was clearly right, right. inspired by. Um, <laughs> That's not even a joke. Like she even no, said as much. I, yeah, She's I, a woman actually, of taste. I get that one. Well, that's the next stop uh, in my rewatch, and I'll be honest, I'm quite excited to watch it again. I really like that one. I had low expectations might have helped because, like, almost everyone I know except for you, Ian, and a frequent guest on the show, Michael. Everyone else I knew was like, "This sucks." So I was like, "Okay," bracing <laughs> myself, and then the fact that I was like, "This is," I can see why people don't like it, but it's kind of interesting. Um, oh, yeah. Like I don't want to. I think that movie, for me at least, was hurt by the fact that it came out right after Dune, and it's the exact same runtime as Dune. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love Dune, and this movie is two minutes longer and feel or two minutes shorter and feels two hours longer just through pacing and stuff. It's definitely no Dune. I'll agree with it's you no there. Dune. Um, and uh, and I will say like. For it to, be, I kind of get why it got slagged off by critics because for it to be like the art house Marvel film, I don't think it's quite like enough. For it to be like the bold swing, it's pretty good, but it's not good enough to maybe justify that, justify the heightened expectations of like from, from Academy Award winner Chloe Zhao. Like even though Thor: Love and Thunder was also from an Academy Award winner, they did not mark it as from Academy Award winner Taika well, Waititi. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, Thor. Really? Yeah. Oh, you might like yeah. it, I guess. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I just feel defeated at points, you know. This is what I was gonna get into. Is um, I was thinking about this actually all week. Um, there's a YouTuber I like, Todd in the Shadows, who does pop music reviews, and and I swear this will tie into Marvel stuff in a second. But he put forth a theory recently, where it's like you can kind of divide, um pop stars into two broad categories and on the one category there's like pop stars who once they've made it they are eternal your lady gaga's your beyonce's your taylor swift's even when they put out albums or songs that aren't like number one hits they are serious enough artists with passionate enough fan bases that it kind of doesn't matter they're still valued as like the top of their craft and on the other hand there are pop stars like Katy perry who when the hits stop coming they're done I feel a similar thing with Marvel where from like 2016 to 2019 in particular, it was very easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm a fan because they were generally like really consistent about putting out quality entertainments. You know, that's the stretch where you get even stuff that's kind of messy like Civil War is still really entertaining. You get Black Panther, you get the last two Avengers films, and even when they put out something that's like kind of middling like Ant-Man and the Wasp or Captain Marvel, it's sandwiched between last two Avengers, so it's very easy to just be like, hey, I'm riding that high. I'm still in. But now we're, like, post into Phase 4, where it's like, Black Widow is kind of lame, my opinion. Uh, I hated Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, Eternals got a middling reception. Shang-Chi was okay, but not super memorable in the long run. Like, I haven't really thought about it since. Uh, I'm in the minority of people who really don't like Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, and I'll accept I'm in the minority on that one. Um, just they've had like a lot of kind of duds recently yeah. that 
it's very even though I still enjoy I've seen all the films in theaters and I will probably continue most of the films in theaters and will continue to seek them out for the most part I don't know if I would immediately be like yeah I'm a fan just because they've they've not been bringing the hits lately yeah so, they haven't I, I, I agree and the TV shows are they kind of only exacerbate that um, to be honest I don't they haven't really come up with a really so, strong one yet what I'll say about the TV shows is I think I think the weekly releases are hurting them personally you like you know I, I I understand in some cases where you know you have the, the water cooler talk you know back when Lost was big all that kind of stuff um but I just find, like, I don't have time anymore. Like, you know, when a new show came out on Netflix, like, I didn't watch the new season of Stranger Things, but if I did, like, you know, that's a weekend. You know? In the same way that sitting down for a movie is a couple hours. Like, you know, I want to watch the next season, that's a weekend. Um, I I like weekly releases for certain things. I don't like it for this. I oh. if, if my job is to keep up with these, mo- these stories so that I can understand the next movie whenever that comes out, I want it... I want to be able to to binge that. And, you know, I really enjoyed WandaVision. Um, and that part of that comes from, like, I think, uh, a connection to, like, the old sitcoms. Um, I didn't finish Falcon and the Winter Soldier because I didn't care. Uh, I, I loved Loki and was really interested to see where they were going after that. Um, Moon Knight was fine uh and i miss marvel is the one i feel the most guilty about because like i love that character and i like hyped it up like i was really excited that this was a character that was coming to the screen and then i watched the first episode when it came out uh and i haven't watched any of it since and i'm 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 gonna like i'm gonna i'm gonna commit to that (laughs) one but it's i i want to be able to do my weekend watch you know an interesting point um, and I think there's something sandwiched in there, and you can tell me if I'm wrong reading between the lines, but part of the reason the Marvel shows don't work for the weekly release models because they're not very good. <laughs> so when it's like, the new episode comes out, and it's like, oh, God, i got to watch this thing. Um, I, yeah. Again, I've, I've only watched WandaVision. I watched a couple episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier while taking notes for like a writing project, and I'm like, why am I even having the show on? I just do not care. <laughs> Um, and I haven't. I I might watch Loki because I hear that one is important for the universe moving forward. Um, <sighs> Jonathan, spoiler for Loki. Jonathan Majors is in it. And that's that's why it's important because we get to see him and we know he's coming. Like, oh right, because he talked for half an hour at the end. I forgot. Yeah, I hated Loki. <laughs> I hated it so uh, much. <laughs> that's fair. It was a true. Yeah, that's where. That's where I am absolutely certain. That might be the first MCU thing I don't actually watch will be Loki season two because I do not want to go through that again. (laughs) I will say it it creates an interesting... I don't want to talk down about TV as like a medium. It does feel like there's a weird hierarchy of like who's important enough to get movies and who isn't. Um, Like Hawkeye was never important enough to have a solo movie. Oh, I liked Hawkeye. Damn, well, I forgot that one. I Clearly, I didn't like it that much. <laughs> that did seem like the vibe though where it's like it's a fun show and then like yeah. once it was done it was like potato chips pretty yeah. much you know? um okay so we seem to be on a very actually comparable 
place with the MCU where it's like we like them, but yeah, but I think that's a general feeling. You know, you're you get into the echo chamber of like Twitter and all that stuff where you have like creeps coming out of the woodwork telling you Thor two is actually a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> but like removed from that, like if you talk to people in real life, they're like, oh, that's there's a lot of them, you know. And the same thing happened with Star Wars and. Mm. is only going to continue until we get another Avengers movie. They take the Russo brothers out of the, the Netflix freezer and they just, like, start cranking out the hits again. Yeah. And then, you know. Well, that is the other thing. If they start if they start putting out bangers again, they put out hits, they put out your fireworks and your teenage dreams and whatnot, then all is forgiven, you know? People don't really mind the saturation when it's all at a high quality consistently yeah yeah um again that was 20 like i was i've always enjoyed marvel but also always been critical <laughs> of them and always thought that they were like good but there was like like a b tier in terms of like the great superhero movies i never thought that they really like crossed over into your spider-man 2 or into the spider-verse camp for that matter i thought it was so cool actually in 2018 when it's like avengers infinity were the biggest movie ever and i'm like spider-verse was better and that's well, kind of awesome Yep. I saw um, like a, a hard drive article. It was like uh yes, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is in its flop era, but so is the planet or something. It's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Oh boy. Um Yeah. Well interesting. Well, we're gonna we're not going to let's leave the T V behind for a while. Let's talk about the movies. Um, I, I guess I'll start off. Nice. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to start talking about uh, 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy, directed by James Gunn. And the moment that I really want to talk about is actually pretty, well, not right at the beginning of the movie, but it is, it's the title drop of the movie when you actually see the Guardians of the Galaxy title come up, which is actually like seven or eight minutes into the movie because you've got the the prologue with Star-Lord as a kid and and his uh, his mother's dying and then he gets taken uh, by the spaceship and so that whole deal. And then we it shoots us up to the present and we see him exploring this planet. Um, and it's... The interesting thing I like about the title drop is just such a... It's such a 180 in tone um, that it's... Because it, it starts off pretty heavy, right? His mom is dying of cancer and then he gets abducted, basically, for lack of a better word. And then even in this scene when it starts off, he's got his mask on, he's got these glowing red eyes and it looks like you're in for like a really serious science fiction epic and he's going through this rainy alien landscape. Um, and then all of a sudden he takes off his mask and he uh, puts on his, his uh, earphones. He's got a little uh, Walkman there. And then all of a sudden Come and Get Your Love by Redbone comes on. And particularly, and then you've got the Guardians of the Galaxy title comes up in such a way that it's like taking up almost the entire screen. It is bold. And then you see Star-Lord just underneath that and he's doing his little dance move and it's syncing up with the music. And it is, it's one of my favorite favorite movie title drops ever. It's so good. Um, I love that it just completely turns around what you were thinking this movie was gonna be. And it's like a 
It's like James Gunn is making this bold declaration that we are here. Because the interesting thing about Guardians of the Galaxy is when this came out, nobody knew who they were except for like the absolute hardcore comic book nerds. But otherwise, nobody knows who these people are. And this was a pretty big gamble for um, for the company, for the franchise. And I love that he they just completely go into the deep end with it. And then he's like, okay, this is what we are. We're going to be this fun this fun space romp. And I think that this, this particular moment is just such a great way to declare it. And when I was watching this for the first time in theaters, I was like, what is going on? Like, okay, so this is the kind of movie that we're in for. Excellent. And then you're on board and you just go with it. So, love it. Nice. Yeah, I I was in the camp of like, this movie is going to be bad because it doesn't have Captain America in it. Like, I was like, <laughs> I don't know who these people are. Um, I don't know who this director is. Like, I know his brother was on Gilmore Girls. I'm like, what is, like... And not only do you and not know I, who they are, but they're, it's weird. Like, it's yeah. a talking tree and a talking raccoon. Yeah. And I just what I remember reading, like, the press stuff for it, it's like, Vin Diesel recorded all of his lines in every language for the movie, and he really called on, like, the emotion of losing his friend Paul Walker. And I'm like, what is, like, what is this movie? Like... <laughs> What is happening? He's got he's got the same line throughout the whole film. Like we're applauding this man for speaking French, uh, and I was firmly, I am happy to admit I was wrong. Uh, I really liked this movie. I really um, enjoyed the characters. Um, I think this movie does something. We've already talked about Eternals. It it does the same thing as Eternals, where it, you know it has a daunting task of introducing us to all these new characters. Uh, and I think it does it better than that. You know, we there are less characters to sort of get to know. Like we we very clearly understand. Like we need to care about these four, and everyone else is kind of whatever. Uh, but no, this this was a really a really good, enjoyable movie. It was pretty different from what we'd seen before, uh, and I was I was wrong about it in 2014. And I'm happy. That I <laughs> well, I do, and I think the title drop <clears throat> is important for that one. Ian, I like how you mentioned like it's easy to forget. I think when looking back, how like dark and upsetting the movie is at the very beginning, and yet it is like it's the light and colorful Marvel film. Even and all their films for the most part have a certain more uh, jovial tone than like um, I don't know your Zack Snyder's to use an obvious comparative or counterpoint. Um, this one also, by the virtue of what its story is, it needs to start in this really dark place. Because I guess you could start right light up front from the get-go and then have the mom backstory relegated to like a flashback later if you wanted to you know, kind of ease the audience in. But I think it's actually the better call to be completely up front mm-hmm, with the tragedy of the backstory. Um, and also because it, it lets you... And that title drop happens, it lets you kind of breathe a sigh of relief of like, okay got the heavy stuff established now i can enjoy myself but it also knowing that backstory from the start really frames how you read that character um the entire time like even because the end of that sequence after he has the standoff with the bad guys and you know he escapes and there's like another uh woman in his ship and he's like oh what's your name again it's like you know tee he he's a you know 
he's a player kind of humor <laughs> um but like that that joke plays diff like it, it, it it's still played for laughs but it plays differently when you know like don't know his full backstory yet but knowing that this character's mom died at a very young age and you kind of assume he hasn't had too much of like a a, a healthy sort of outlook or perspective or relationship to women since then because he hasn't had uh, anyone any woman in his life really outside of losing his mom as a very young kid and it's just a little thing that like all of his sort of juvenile aspects of his personality and like the ways he can act uh that are meant to be humorous but are also kind of character flaws they're colored differently because you have that at the start and it's a good way the movie can kind of have its cake and eat it too and it also reminds me of disney cartoons where it's like they'll kill the main character's parent and then cut to like birds chirping in the in the <laughs> lake it's like oh it's everything's happy still it's okay don't be too upset when... Would it make you feel worse to know, Dan, that that alien woman is wearing the same t-shirt Star-Lord was wearing when his mom died? That is an interesting detail. Is that, oh. Does that read into it? You want to read into his psyche a little more? Or do you think it's just like <laughs> actually just a funny joke that James Gunn put in there because he liked that scene in Star Trek? I think it can be both. I just like the scene <laughs> in Star Trek. I think it can be both. I actually, and this is part of me like bringing in the baggage of Guardians 2, where they start to really sort of... Because the first film, a lot of like that stuff's just for jokes, but the second film, it's still there for humor, but it's really like... It's more about exploring Peter's character. So I maybe I'm just reading it with the color of that in the back of my head, too. But I do think there's some, like... It's aware of what it's doing. I'll give James Gunn credit. Yeah, that's a good point. I just love the confidence that he has in this movie when really nobody was given it its props when it was about to come out like i think it was shoveled into almost august maybe like it, it was a pretty late summer mm -hmm. release uh, but just his confidence winter of, soldier was the big one that year yeah it was um that was a big year for that oh, yeah mm -hmm. and then they followed but, up with age of ultron and ant-man <laughs> but i almost wonder if that's mm. what made it so like the complete lack of expectations is what really allowed him to do well and allowed that movie to do well because you know if they, he tried to do that with you know a thor or a captain america i feel like the the powers that be upstairs would have been like no the, the, these characters need to be revered and, and treated it's like that thing that sony that leaked that leaked about like peter parker can sell drugs if he's wearing this the symbiote suit but other than that he can't say a bad word um, right you know so i think that i think that helped yeah, your marquee um, characters are like mm -hmm. hyper man micromanaged in terms of like how they can come off. Yeah. Um and there's also some of that too with like the fans. Like if you're a hardcore fan, you have very specific ways you want to see these characters. And while I'm sure there are some really hardcore Guardians of the Galaxy fans who are probably upset about something in the movies, and they might be right. I've never read a Guardians comic book. Um that's I think that's a small enough minority. You can kind of proceed confidently in terms of like taking chances with these characters um i wonder if the giant size of the fonts uh of the title inspired the russo brothers when they were making captain america civil war oh, yeah. and every single city they go to the titles <laughs> Prague, and it's like <laughs> very well just in case <laughs> they really don't want you to miss which city every scene is set in <laughs> oh, pretty sure they go to Prague in spider-man far from home dan but nice try I mean, you're probably right. <laughs> I guess the titles weren't big enough. I didn't remember well. They should be even bigger. Even bigger. And they'd make the next Captain America. Full screen. 
out. It'll be like Gone with the Wind's title where they have to like pan across to see all of it. <laughs> like the Star Destroyer in A New Hope, it just keeps going. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I like this. This whole sequence is really good, I think. Um, a good way, it like, tells you a lot about the character, tells you a lot about the tone of this film. Um, and is also, again, like speaking of the MCU as like a universe, which I think you should because it is like... It's more about the overarching whole in some ways than any individual entity. The fact that the last film was Winter Soldier, which I really like, but is very like serious and um, I hesitate to use the term political thriller because it's really not, but more of a political thriller than Guardians of the Galaxy. The like vein, opening this yeah. way is a good way of being like diversifying the palette. That's what this was. Now this is, you know, a different flavor, and that's nice. Yeah. Well, Evan, why don't you lead us in with the, your first pick? Okay, so my first pick uh, requires a little bit of history. So, uh, Ian, I don't know much about you, but I'm going to ask Dan this question. Dan, do you remember where you were on April 6th, 2014? <laughs> um, I can actually check that. I have to go off mic, but so you can... Okay. Uh, it doesn't matter because I'll tell you where I was. I was sitting okay. in my, my university dorm uh, watching a stream of WrestleMania 30. And the reason this is irrelevant is because, uh, you know, there was a match between Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. And for those of you who know your wrestling history, The Undertaker had never lost at WrestleMania. He was the, the biggest, baddest dude. And he was taken on Brock Lesnar, and uh, you know, after going 21 and 0 at WrestleMania, the Undertaker lost. He was beaten cleanly, and the entire arena just kind of sat in silence, not quite sure what happened. You know, understand a lot of us know that wrestling is predetermined, but there was a lot of shock. There was a lot of almost revolt as to like, oh, this wasn't supposed to happen, this was an accident. And the reason I bring that up is because I felt I felt the exact same way um, watching the end of 2019's Infinity War. Um, because I had gone into that movie thinking like, oh, I know what's going to happen. We knew contracts were running up. We knew this was probably the last couple movies for certain people. So I went in thinking like, oh, they're going to kill off the big guys and then the new, the new people are going to avenge them hence the name uh and then they they didn't and my favorite part of this whole movie is you know the snap goes off we see all of uh the newer heroes fade into dust we have um uh spider-man and his oh i don't feel so good uh and after that the last line of the movie is uh, Captain America He's sitting uh, next to Vision's body, uh, and it's just silence. And he says, "Oh God." And that to me was probably the probably my favorite moment in the MCU, only because for a, a franchise that we like to make fun of uh, for undercutting its drama, you know, like there's all sorts of memes on, on the internet right now about like. You know, you all those people who are having their homes destroyed while 
the Avengers are out saying like, oh, he's right behind me, isn't he? You know, like something, <laughs> you know, all of that, all that high tension gets cut with quips and things. They really just let it sit and, and no one says anything. No one goes, you know, no one's like, oh, my allergies are acting up. I, you know, like they just, <laughs> they just leave it. And it was the first time. And I think probably still the only time they just leave it. And you're sitting in silence, and then it cuts to Thanos on his porch. He stumbles out one-armed and looks off into the into the sunrise and smiles. He he did exactly what he said he was going to do, and then it just ends. And Alan Silvestri's score in this moment is perfect. There are like the strings just sort of build to like a perfect ending as the as the screen cuts to black. Um. And we saw we saw the Avengers lose for the first time, possibly the only time. I I don't know what what's coming up down the pipe, but it was just so new. And you know, again, I figured something was going to happen, you know, but I didn't expect to to end the film that way. I think and another I think, crucial yeah detail here too. Because I like that you point out, you not expecting it to end that, matter of fact, like, they lose, and they lose bad. Um, but the fact that it was essentially part one of two was not super heavily part of the marketing. Like, if you followed, mm-hmm. like, stuff online and you knew, then you were aware. But I think for a general audience going in who doesn't pay attention to that stuff, which is most people, like, they would have been blindsided by that. And I especially wonder... You guys might have more insight into this as uh, teachers, but um, what extent like kids were kind of blindsided by it, and like when people talk, and we've actually talked about on the podcast, like movies that kids watched like in the eighties and nineties that were considered like traumatizing movies because they were for kids, but they had darker or more violent aspects. And I wonder if there's going to be a generation of kids that grew up and talk talk about how seeing Infinity War when they were like seven was like kind of hard because they watched all their favorite characters get dusted it's very possible especially when you throw spider-man into the mix yeah like i i am very happy to say that i've never been to like those mcu screenings you know where like people are filming and they're like screaming and stuff but i do remember um because i think black panther's the first one to go and that was the first time I'd ever heard like an audible gasp yeah. in because you know it's the aftermath like we hear the snap and then it's just quiet like there's no background music there's no score it's just you know the characters talking and that was the f- Black Panther disappears and that's the first gasp and then you know the Guardians go and I know we just talked about, you know, how great of a job James Gunn did at, like, bringing those characters into the mainstream, but I was like, all right, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not too worried, uh, except, except they leave Rocket, and that's messed up. Um, he has to watch Groot die, yeah, and he's yeah. just like, oh, no. Yeah. He's just so, like, yeah. heartbroken. Right? And then Spider-Man was the one that got me, and I was like, no, come on, guys. All right. Okay, Joe and Tony. <laughs> but, uh... Joni, as they're called on the yeah. streets, they do pace it yeah. very well. Of like building your um, 
uh, in terms of like the escalation of emotion. Like that ends with a kid, and it's like the most inherently likable superhero yeah. probably ever. Yeah. Um, and he's just like begging to, um, yeah. you know, not die. Although it does make me laugh. People like Tom Holland improvise saying, "I don't want to go." It's like, well, I imagine yeah. if you're gonna die, and you're like, what do you think you'd say? That would probably be well, what I would say. <laughs> there was like the thing that came out is like, oh, uh, the Russo brothers just told him like act like you don't want to go. And then... <laughs> <laughs> um, He's riffing on a level that's sublime. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> it is but, a very well done scene, though, and he acts it yeah. really well. Yeah, and I will say, like, my one issue with the, I guess, it's not even the same scene, but I believed that, like, if there was a movie to not end with a credit scene this was it mm-hmm. right because in at the end you have like oh thanos will return like you know like in the next movie or whatever and you know they i understand they have to like you know give those kids like a little bit of hope not that those kids actually know who captain marvel is when she like shows up on the pager um but i i do wish that they had just left it you know because you know to sell to sell the point but i just really appreciated you know you're gonna kill off these characters um and it's not gonna be like a joke you know like you don't have yondu and uh star lord being like oh it's mary poppins and then he's dead you know like we just watch them die or disappear and i think Again, we give them a lot. We give Marvel a lot of flack for trying to undercut their stuff. Nothing is ever like the stakes are never really high. Um, in this case, it was, and you know, I go back to my my WrestleMania 30 uh, anal- analogy. The Undertaker just sat in that ring for four or five minutes. There was no like, come on back out, brother, and let's do it one more time, like. Vince McMahon didn't come outside, come back down to the ring and like restart the match because that's not what I wanted to have. Like we just, there's just silent. They're just sitting. Um, and it was really cool to see because I didn't think, I didn't think they would do it honestly. Like I thought we were gonna have a happy ending, and granted we got it a year later. Um, but but even then they still didn't like, undercut what they did, right? Like they. I think the fact that they did the whole five years and the and the yeah. fact that they kept that so that the characters still had to live with it. Mm-hmm. And even when they reversed what Thanos did, they didn't really because yeah. um, the pain that everybody felt was still was still present as well, which I thought was a bold move also. Yeah. I will say, though, if anything has undercut that, it's been <clears throat> the movies and shows since where it's like, uh, the blip, as they call it in yeah. universe, yes, or the snapping, which I prefer, yeah. um, is not really taken seriously at all. And it's like this would so cataclysmically change society. Like you think about, like not to be insensitive, but something like how you know, twenty years later, like the 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 memory of nine eleven still like haunts, you know, the world. Or even honestly, an event like Pearl Harbor, which like yes, is like historically enough in the past that it's not like, you know doesn't hurt i suppose but it still carries weight and like in the mcu it's, that seems to have been largely abandoned like i think about how in in uh, thor 11 thunder there's like the ice cream shop that's like uh infinity cones 
It's like an Infinity Gauntlet holding ice cream cones. Yeah. And as like a visual gag, I think it's fine, but it's like, in this universe, that's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know we're not talking about... Uh, I gotta stop. We talked about how much we don't like the TV shows, but I will say the only time the snap is actually like, or and then the unsnapping, mm-hmm. I yeah. guess, is actually taken seriously, is there's a scene in Hawkeye where uh, Florence Pugh goes to wash her hands in a bathroom is snapped away and then comes back to like a completely different house she walks out you know and is trying to figure out what's going on that's Um, true that scene was spectacular and then yeah and then learns that you know so um that's by far the that's that scene by far is the best thing that the disney plus shows have done like that was i was floored when they did that yeah, and then on the other hand you have like Aunt May being like when I came back I was in someone's house and they thought I was a mistress and they threw a shoe at me or like stuff like yeah, <laughs> yeah I just, and I don't mind some of the humor but like I actually really like the way Far From Home opens with like the the, the crappy uh, high school tribute to, yes. yeah like that's actually I think kind of great but you know and like there's even a quote I think it was from one of the She-Hulk uh, showrunners of like yeah, the universe, they've mostly moved on from the blip. It's like, how would they mostly move on? That would be, like, the most traumatic thing ever. Can you imagine, like, you know, even, you know, being, dating somebody, and you're, like, you're both 15, and you one of you gets blipped away, and you come back, and the other person's 20 now? Or yeah. being married, and you come back, and the person's, like, married somebody else? Well, that would have, how many times would that yeah. have happened in this world? Like, all yeah. over the should have been, place. like, a thousand castaways. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I don't know. I, I understand, like, you're not going to be able to get into, like, the gritty of, like, those kinds of stories because it's not what this universe yeah. is for. But mm-hmm. for as impactful as this moment is, and it is, pro- I would argue, like, the 360 shot in the first Avengers of the team together and, like, the snapping are probably the two big moments, like, the best, biggest moments from this franchise. Um, and I would, yeah, I would have liked to see them treat it with a bit more... Not necessarily reverence, but just more importance moving forward. Of like, yeah, this would be like a seismic, you know, world-changing event. Because they do treat the New York attack like that, right? The one from the first Avengers for a long time that was treated as a they huge do, yeah. deal, and I, I like that they did that. Right? It wasn't just something yeah, that happened. Remember, they had had fallen. Remember when when Iron Man had PTSD <clears throat> from from all that, and we jumped to Spider Man's friends in high school making a funny like. PowerPoint, you know. Like. <laughs> Shout out to Iron Man three, solid movie. Yeah, doesn't get enough love. It doesn't. I agree with you. Iron Man three rocks. Arguably the best action of the entire MCU. Well, I, I almost love that scene where they're saving the people from the plane. It's awesome. <laughs> this is this is di- diverging from Infinity War, but on, while we're on Iron Man three, I almost picked the moments where uh, he's fighting those guys and then. Uh, the one guy says, "Hey man, I'm just uh, I, I I just work for these guys," <laughs> and then he just runs yeah. away. But we've talked. I think we you've actually brought that up before. I think you brought it's a that great up before, scene. So I decided <laughs> not to, but yeah. But this Infinity War, pick, I, yeah. yeah, Infinity but, yeah. War. I think is it might be this. It might be at the top. I mean, to me, it is. To me, it's it's my. It's not my. Favorite, but I think it's the best one, if that makes sense. Which is hard to say because in its own context, it doesn't 
like if somebody was just to sit down and watch Infinity War, yeah, uh, does um, it really work? Uh, I don't know, but no. I kind of remember debating this with uh, our other former uh, Digetic Pixels co-host Adam, where he was saying, I think he was, and if if I was wrong about this, Adam, you can correct us in my group in our group chat, that like putting forward Infinity War as like should it be nominated for Best Picture, and it's like absolutely not. Oh. Because <laughs> no, it no, makes no. no sense. Of, like, I, I don't think necessarily Black Panther it would have, wouldn't have been in my top ten for that year either. But it is a nominee. Makes more sense because pretty much anyone can like. If you've never seen an MCU film, you'll be fine. Yeah. There's a couple yeah. things, but really, like, it doesn't matter. Um, but Infinity War is like very. The, I don't know if it's like a great movie. It's not a great movie in terms of standing on its own, but it's like the culmination. Uh, or an encapsulation of like this universe it's about as good as it's going to get it does that like exceptionally well um yeah it's up there for me as well it's my number two yeah i might like endgame a little bit more but I, they're, they're like they're neck and neck they're... my hot take is i think i would have liked endgame more if it didn't have the stuff that everyone loves which is when all the portals open and everyone comes back no, I, I understand. I understand. Because yeah. Thanos doesn't have the stones at this point. If it was just Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America beat Thanos. Infinity War, you get the big, like, multi-level action of, like, different planets. There's different action scenes and big armies. And then Endgame, it's nice and, like, and focused on the three main core Avengers. And I thought that's what they were going to do, and I'm like, nice. And then you can't... You can't cut out the stuff with, like, Avengers Assemble because that's the stuff that, like, everyone loves. I'm like, I think I'd have liked if the three guys just beat the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> a yeah. simple man that way. But, yeah, yeah. Good I, do, I do love this Infinity War ending. And I remember, like, leaving, and I was like, I had lunch with my parents later that day because they were up visiting. And just kind of, like, sitting and, like, ruminating on that ending because it did, like, completely blindside me in terms of not expecting them to really go that far and also because i went into infinity war like looking forward to it but i was like i don't know how they're gonna pull this off because age of ultron was a mess and this movie has even more going on and even more characters i don't know how they're gonna be able to pull all these threads together and they did you know i was i was like my jaw was on the floor with this scene like i even went in feeling kind of bitter i'm like hey how dare they end the movie like this (laughs) but um because yeah, it's stung. It's stung when you first watch it. Because I was thinking, like you, like you said, Dan, the the marketing was not. It was not like these are two movies you're gonna watch. Um, it was it was mostly focused on this movie. And then I was like, well, I know there's gonna be another movie. It's probably gonna be like halfway. He's probably gonna get half the stones at the end of this one, right? Like I thought it would be gonna be straight up continuation, not like a this story has now ended and now here's the fallout from that. I no idea that I that's also, where they're going. I also think, or at least it's the first one I can remember where Marvel outright lied in all of the the marketing for it. Like, this was the first time where they, like, doctored the trailer. Because, mm-hmm. like, you, like, you see Hulk and it's Black true. Panther and them, like, running, and obviously the Hulk doesn't actually show up in that. Um, and now I don't trust them ever, but it was it was good. But the big, the big lie, the big trailer lie that they did is they had the shot of Thanos with the glove, and in the movie, that's when he's got all five gems. In the trailer, he only had, like, two of them. 
Yeah, it's like true. they actually yeah. took out some of the gems from the trailer shot. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Those poor VFX workers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I wonder how last minute they decided that they needed the other shot. Uh, <laughs> we don't have to get into that. Uh, no, I guess I'll jump to the next moment. I'll jump, take us way back to early MCU. Uh, nobody's favorite movie, Iron Man 2. I'm not really talking about anything in Iron Man 2 because I'm talking about the post credit scene which teases Thor. Um, and the reason I want to talk about this is because I think it, it harkens back to when the post credit stingers were... It felt more exciting and less like mandatory like homework as we've been kind of uh, circling back to. And I particularly like this one how... You know, you have Agent Coulson driving up to some sort of crater area, meaning like some sort of anomalies going on, and the camera pulls back and we see uh, Mjolnir, Thor's hammer, which I will now call Thor's hammer because that word is hard to say, uh, <laughs> engraved in stone. And it's like, oh, Thor's coming. Awesome. And you actually and, you hear the thunder as the when it cuts to black and you hear... That's uh, right. Oh, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. And I like this tease. I like this tease on its own, and I also think... The things that are great about it illuminate why the more recent post-credit stingers have not been as interesting and successful, despite ostensibly showing a lot more. Um, one is that I really think the imagery here is just really effective and strong in terms of they don't have to show us Thor. Like, you don't have, like, Heimdall being like, something crazy is going on on Earth, and Thor's like, oh, I'm Thor! And then it's like, oh, okay, that's Thor's coming next. Um, it's simpler, and it's, it's, it, it feels like a proper tease. Like it's just a small piece, but it's very evocative. And I also think the imagery is really well selected because even if you, as a Joe uh, Joe Blow moviegoer, are not aware that Thor is like a character in Marvel, the imagery is so evocative of like the sword and stone Excalibur type mm -hmm. thing that you can start to piece together what this is. And that also tells you a lot about the movie to follow, which is more based in fantasy and mythology and has a more um, <clears throat> sort of Shakespearean tone even. In terms of like epics and kings and gods and whatnot um and i think that's a lot to get from just a couple of shots one little teaser and compare that to now in the marvel films where you'll get like, like doctor strange the multiverse of madness oh, a full-on so character bad. it's so bad a full character shows up played by a major actor in charlie's theron and I'm just like, who is this? And I like, I have no idea. And I don't really know, despite the fact that we actually see a character, they have lines. They're played by an actor who I love. But it's just like a generic sorcerer. Like, despite showing so much more, I know so much less about this character than I did um, uh, than of Thor of just from a hammer. Or even in, uh, in Thor Love and Thunder, when, I guess, spoilers... In the post uh, credits, we see Hercules, who I know is a character in Marvel, and I recognize him, but he doesn't do anything, and there's no really sign of like what his introduction means, other than just like revenge on Thor. I don't know. Like this tease again, despite being a lot smaller, is telling you so much more about what's to come. And the other yeah. thing that I think is really good about this teaser, and something that Marvel have really gradually gone away from. It's when the post-credits stingers were paid off relatively quickly. Like Iron Man 2, yeah. it's like Thor's coming. The next movie we got Thor. Um, and then Thor, I think, teases Loki in the Infinity Stone. And then we yeah, get Avengers uh, the, a year we later. Get the no, we get the cube. And okay. then we get um, Captain America later, right. that, later that year, even. Right. Those two came right. out 
pretty close yeah. together. So. so there was like a clear like the things you're getting set up are being paid off relatively quickly, and so like it made it, it was meaningful to invest in them. Starting around, I think the first one would have been Doctor Strange, where they tease Baron Mordo being evil. Six years later, yeah. Doctor Strange 2 comes out, and it's like, Baron Mordo, my sworn enemy. And it's like, I didn't... You know, scene missing. We didn't see that. <laughs> and to be fair, like I don't really care like that we didn't get that movie, because I'm not that interested in the Doctor Strange mythos. But you start to have a lot of these post credit scenes that are teasing things that either pay off really far down the line in really minor, marginal ways, or will just never be paid off. Like Scorpion in Spider-Man Homecoming, um, who's played by, uh, I don't remember the actor's name, but he plays Nacho on Better Call Saul, and he's really, really good on that show. Uh, and he's a great actor. I would have been curious to see him do more, and it's like, we're never, we're never getting that. Or he's going to fight Morpheus or something. Like... You know, or in uh, I think it's Captain Marvel where they reveal, or it's maybe no, it's Far From Home. They reveal that like the, the Skrulls are like living as Nick Fury, and Nick Fury's in space, and it's like, yeah. is that gonna matter? I know there's like a, a um, secret invasion TV show planned, so like that's still maybe like it'll pay off there. Yeah. yeah, I I still I, you're correct in all of your all of your statements. The only thing I give a pass to now in retrospect is the secret invasion one because i think covid kind of set that back quite a bit mm -hmm. um that being said like uh, you know guardians of the galaxy 2 like where's we know we, we know we're getting adam warlock now um mm -hmm. but yeah there's been a lot of a lot of t of teasing that is going nowhere and you know i almost prefer like just just give me a like give me a scene from the next movie coming out which is what mm -hmm. they've done several times where they, they literally have given you like a, a snippet of the movie you mm -hmm. know like w with ant-man or whatever it is um but yeah uh i would say this this phase i guess has been the worst for it um you know the last thor-esque teaser where we got was like you know captain marvel on the pager um and again that movie came out relatively quickly after that but like i'm trying to think shang chi we don't know what's going on with that yeah um, it's like oh his sister's running the mercenaries still i guess yeah but that might also, pay off but also the 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 bracelets the rings no they can contact aliens and i was like oh is that like an eternals thing maybe the eternals post credit i think is equally as egregious as the doctor strange one mm -hmm. where they're just mm -hmm. like here's harry styles here he is and he's right. thanos's brother but he's not purple it does also suggest a certain lack of confidence in the characters they have to work with moving forward because it was a big deal that like you know they were casting like unknowns as thor and loki back in the day and obviously those casting choices worked brilliantly for them uh, but even like Chris Evans, he was like a known name, but his biggest thing with general audiences would have been the Fantastic Four movies, which were not well received or liked, except by Ian, who is his favorite say, film. Careful, <laughs> <I'm saying>. alive. Yeah. <laughs> I listened to that one. It's like Fantastic Four, Terrence Malick's The New World, and uh, Serenity the Firefly movie. Those yeah. are the big three from 2005. But uh, like now it's like, okay, we've got like characters that are kind of not that interesting or good on their own merit so we need to bring in Charlize Theron and we need to bring in Harry Styles because 
Yeah, because no they're working with some care. pretty obscure stuff at this point. Like right. in Eternals, they had uh, Jon Snow like brought out this supposed to be a magic sword. I'm like, I don't know who he's supposed to be or what the deal with that sword is. But uh, Thor's yeah, hammer. I mean, yeah, it's right. Thor's hammer. Yeah. Um, well, and again, I, like I find the imagery too is evocative enough that even if you don't know whose hammer it is, it's like, oh, it's like an Excalibur thing. That's cool. Like it's telling you. And I also think like when you break it down, like the post-credits teasers, they're all basically just commercials. But when they're done in a more elegant way, they don't feel like you're being advertised to. You, it feels like you're buying into, you know, the world and into like them as movies or as cinema, one might say. But when it's just like you know here's a new character please applaud now it just feels and when those things don't go anywhere it does really feel like they're just selling you to keep you buying more tickets yeah i read somewhere that in an early like storyboard there was a scene where wanda brings out like mordo's head and is like this is what happened like the last sorcerer who tried to mess with me or something like that and then they told sam he couldn't do that i guess (laughs) <laughs> um, and I like again, like you said. So we now have this unresolved thing from mm-hmm. God. When did that movie come out? Twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. First Doctor Strange, twenty sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Was that in Civil War? Yeah, I mean, and like the spy. Uh, I mean, uh, I think Venom also. The new Venom ended with a post credits teaser of Spider Man, and then in No Way Home, Venom shows up at the end, but then he leaves the symbiote behind, and it's like, oh, is that gonna matter? I kind of liked that. I was like, you know. I kind of like that. Because... That one makes no sense, though, because they were all summoned because they knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man. This Venom doesn't even know who Spider-Man is. No, all Venoms know. Do the symbiote <laughs> hive mind, Dan. That's, That's why. No, he sees he sees Peter Parker on the TV, and he's like, I don't like that guy. Because like, he knows, because he remembered what happened then to Topher Grace. He remembers. Venom is asking questions about who these people are. It's like, that guy hurt no, Eric Foreman. I don't no, like no, no, him. No. Not Tom Hardy's asking these questions. Uh, it's actually disc. No, it's co- it's cognitive symbiote. dissonance. Oh <laughs> it's cognitive God. dissonance. This is also why like normal people are like. And actually, No Way Home is a good example because I thought like I was the only one who didn't like this movie in the world. But I was talking to my partner's dad, and he was like, oh, "I didn't really like it that much." And I was surprised. I was like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah, I just like it's too confusing with all these different universes and all these different Spider Man." Like, I think for like. And it reminded me, though, like, he was watching The Dark Knight one day, and I'm like, oh, um, you're, he's like, yeah, I'm watching a Batman, I don't remember which one. And the idea of not knowing the titles of every Batman, who directed it, which year it came out, <laughs> and the general critical consensus is, like, a foreign concept to me. But it's like, you forget, oh, yeah, regular people don't care that much about these details. And I do wonder, like, the deeper they go into these rabbit holes of, like, like, Evan, your explanation, as much as I criticize it, it does make sense. But then it's like, you need a, a like a, a PhD in you know, Marvel to Comicology. figure that out. Yeah, yeah, I, I just like it because you know we talk about all these things that don't pay off, and we finally get one that actively doesn't pay off. Like you have Tom Hardy, he like Venom travels to this world, and then he's gone immediately. He doesn't do anything in the movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Give give me more of that because you know what? None of it matters. Just tell them. <laughs> you know what? It doesn't matter. Charlie Theron shows up. He's like, Doctor Strange, we have to go back to the future. <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> and None it's like, and, and again, the question of like, well, I don't know when the next Doctor Strange is coming out. Nothing's announced yet. So it's like, is this going to pay off in the 
Avengers, Kang, Phase Dynasty, nine, slash Secret Wars, like, ugh. Yeah, it's... Thor's Hammer in New Mexico, perfect. Okay, so yeah. first, going back to the Hercules thing, I agree that Hercules is just, he doesn't do anything, he's just like, hey, you're Hercules, and then he looks at him. But it does give us just a little bit more time with Russell Crowe's ridiculous Greek accent, which was the best thing in that movie. <laughs> so that's okay. That's a fair <laughs> argument. Uh, but the thing I like about the Thor one is they actually plant a little seed in the movie itself. Because they've got uh, that agent guy, Agent uh, Coulson. He's like, oh, I just got I got to I gotta go because there's something going on in New Mexico. And so they put that little like right. seed in there and then it pays off at the end of the movie, which is mm, kind of cool. That's a good point, too. I'd forgotten about that. I just, I just like Brett Goldstein, and I'm glad he's getting work. That's Hercules, Happy right? Happy for him, yeah. And we'll last, say quickly, fantastic. with regard to Russell Crowe, this is an aside completely, Thor Love and Thunder and Les Miserables are both together are great indicators of how even when Russell Crowe is not very good, he's an amazing movie star. He can't <laughs> sing in Les Mis, and he has a hideously bad accent in Thor Love and Thunder, and yet he's just like so watchable. Yep. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> God bless Russell Crowe. He's a, I love him. Um, yeah. So I like this tease a lot. I wish uh, if they're going to do the post-credits teases... I mean, on some level, it's never going to be as exciting as it was back then because then the idea of, like, can this even work was, like... It was fun to speculate about in a way that now, like... In, in kind of the same way that, like, as much as I still enjoy the first Avengers movie, it is less special by virtue of there being four of them. And then, like... It's like the excitement of seeing them all together and doing cool action stuff. It's like, well, they did this three more times, mm-hmm. and to very like, I don't think Age of Ultron is very good, but I don't know. Like the the spectacle and the specialness of it is is sort of worn off, and so Avengers one has kind of slipped down my Marvel ranking. Um, and in the same way, yeah, like I'm never going to be as excited to by like a, a tease to another movie, but um, all the same, I wish they would put a little more thought into like crafting more unique or uh, engaging or just visual ones like that's the thing about the iron man 2 tease for thor is it's like it's it's just a good shot as a striking image to sort of linger in your mind yeah. and it's why i remember it even though i haven't seen iron man 2 probably since the first avengers came out and i kind of rewatched all of them yeah. i was gonna say dan i do love that on the podcast where we talk about uh small moments in great movies your small moment is the movie ended and i got to see something else (laughs) that's a good point yeah Yeah. i don't hate iron man 2 for what it's worth um it it went up for me on this rewatch i'll say that it's because the thing about iron man 2 i remember when i saw it the the avengersness of it and the all the world building that the movies are so known for that seemed really egregious at the time and that really bo- bothered me right because then they, Nick Fury keeps showing up and then you got like uh, Scarlett Johansson ends up bang- actually being one of the characters and and all this stuff um, but in the context of the whole series now that's nothing like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. that's what it is and so it doesn't it, it's not nearly as egregious when you go back to it and it actually I mean, it's not perfect. There's still some writing issues, but uh, it's pretty solid. And they haven't still haven't brought back Sam Rockwell, which is a crime because he was great <laughs> as as the <laughs> yes. kind of like side villain role. Yes, Justin Hammer. Yeah, <laughs> I do wonder if they will though, because they've brought like armor wars, worthless baby. characters back. In no, terms he'll of, be like, back. 
like Abomination in the She-Hulk show. Or no, he was also in um, Shang-Chi, I Shang-Chi? think. Right. Shang-Chi? I don't think yeah. Tim Roth Briefly. was, but the, the character was, yeah. The monster was. Yeah. Um, or like William Hurt as General Thunderbolt Ross has been in a bunch now, and it's like... I mean, Sam Elliott's better in that part in Ang Lee's Hulk. Shout out to Ang Lee's Hulk. That's a, that's a good movie, <laughs> sort of. It's kind of a train wreck, but it's so watchable. Um, yeah. I, I guess we'll move on. Yeah, good arguments, Dan. I like it. Thank you. Uh, is it I won't me? be saying that for my second pick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is your pick. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, yeah, Black Panther. So we're going to talk about Black Panther from 2018? Yeah. Ryan Coogler. Um, which isn't, it's, it's not up there, honestly, it's not up there for me for MCU movies, but, but this is a movie about small moments, and I think it has a fantastic small moment in it, and it is when, um, Eric Killmonger, the villain, played by Michael B. Jordan, when they're just about to have their showdown, like him and, uh, T'Challa, on the mountain waterside pool waterfall thing, (laughs) you know what I'm talking about, um, mm-hmm. And anyway, my moment is when he takes off his shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not for, yeah. No, not just for that, but. <laughs> <laughs> the reason, so he takes off his shirt, and what we see is that he is just covered in marks, in these, in these branded marks all over his body. Which, taken if you just look at this moment and just watch this scene. Um, without context that means nothing like it's just like it's just a cool visual that the character has i guess um but the reason it's cool is because earlier uh we talked about planting seeds with with uh, the hammer there's a pretty cool seed planted earlier in the film uh, when he's talking with andy circus's character and he pulls up his sleeve and he shows him a bunch of marks on his sleeve they're talking about being branded and he says and he shows him these marks and he's like each one is for a kill that i have because he's he's been like in the military and gone all these places and so you see all these marks down his arm and each one stands for a kill and you're like okay so this this guy is for real but then at this scene and you think that that's it, like that arm is it. And then in this scene, he takes off his shirt and he's just covered in these marks. And it's it's a big like, holy crap moment. And and it's a it's a good visual way of getting across, um, the the terrifying power of this villain, right? The fact that, you know, it, it's a good way of establishing a villain without um, being too obvious about it. Mm-hmm. Because it's a great I, setup and payoff. It is. And it's a great example of, like, not just show, don't tell, but, like, show and tell. Like, the character tells you, I've killed a lot of people, here's the proof. And you're like, oh, okay. And then it shows you just how vast that thing is. Mm-hmm. And it resonates that much more. Um, and it is also a good example of that thing um, that, uh, I don't remember who it was in Pixar, maybe Andrew Stanton, but he's talked about, like, this rule of screenwriting that I think he stole from Billy Wilder of don't give the audience four, give them two plus two, let them put things together for themselves. So it doesn't tell, he doesn't come out and say, oh wow, he's actually killed way more people, but yeah. he let the audience kind of figure it out and they feel a little bit clever for solving it. Even though they have all the pieces spoon fed to them, it doesn't feel like that in the moment. And this is something I did not pick up on when I saw it in the theaters. Uh, but when I watched it for this rewatch, I was like, that, then it was like, oh, Okay, I see what they did there. 
because I'm well placed too because he's about is. to kick T'Challa's ass. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the other thing is that it actually holds weight going forward. Like he he does prove that he's the badass that he's set up to be. I'm pretty, and I like this as a way to establish the villain as well because I'm I think I'm pretty vocal with action scenes and or action movies that I hate when. Um, filmmakers try to push too much how uh how nasty the villains are right by you know their their thinking is oh well to establish him as a terrifying villain we'll just have him kill a bunch of innocent people and i'm like no (laughs) that doesn't do it like you're being too blatant and it's it's too generic but something like this is a neat interesting way to get across okay this is a guy not to mess with Mm mm-hmm and the fact too that we know there's scars that he that are like rooted in his experiences too, in the military and in combat zones. That also colors how we read that history of violence, I think, mm-hmm. um, and potentially informing both the uh, both his, his sort of uh, capabilities as uh, a, a villain, but also as someone who has probably been affected psychologically things he's seen and done without again being heavy-handed about it like it leaves it there that you can fill in those gaps for yourself if you're interested in going down that road but it's for you it's it's a it's more subtle it's in the details of the visuals and in uh, michael b jordan's performance which i think is exquisite and my single favorite thing about this movie is his performance i agree with i think you. he's so good there. Yeah. i hope i i don't know if there's a single way he can come back for Wakanda forever based on how this movie ends. But I love, I like the idea of him and Ryan Coogler just being like uh, Scorsese and De Niro and just like constantly using him because they really get the best out of each other. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, he'll be the new Black Panther. Who knows? That's true. It does seem like it's going to be the big thing. Are they going to give it to Shuri even though she's an anti-vaxxer? Who knows? Yes. Yeah. If, yeah, if you... I follow all the Lego account. Like I know all sorts. I got all. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be her. No. Yeah. I was kind of hoping to be Lupita Nyong'o just because she's like fantastic. Yeah, she's a. Good... Um, I I don't know. I like Winston Duke. I think he's great in that movie. Oh, he's like, really good. I, too. We all talk about Killmonger and Eric Michael B. Jordan's Winston Duke when he said like, "We're gonna eat you." Just kidding. Mm. We're vegetarians. Like. <laughs> It's such a stupid line in a movie that, for the most part, takes itself pretty seriously. Like, you know, it mm-hmm. takes itself pretty seriously, especially with, like, Killmonger's the villain. Like, it's just so stupid that I love it. And he's just this, like, of all the people in that movie, like, you line them up, you know, like Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan Winston. You put Winston and Duke next to those guys, he looks like a superhero. That's true. He looks so cool in that movie, and I think, um, I think he kind of gets washed over a couple of or by by the other characters in the film. And I understand he's not a main character by any means, um, but I just, he's my favorite part of that movie. He's the movie has a really good ensemble to the point that like I think one of the film's weaknesses is that Black Panther is kind of the least interesting part of his own movie. Like his his character conflict of like coming to grips with, um. You know the fact that like looking back at his ancestors and saying you were wrong—that's a really strong like character beat and conflict. But he's so much more strongly motivated in Civil War. Um, I don't know. I find he's kind yeah. of lethargic for the first half of Black Panther. 
Yeah. Yeah. But it's probably why I prefer Killmonger. He's very strongly motivated, yeah. even though he wants to do evil things. Yeah, but then he's like, you know, this this brilliant tactical mind. He's like, we're gonna arm people around the world to fight oppression, and we have this special flower that gives everybody great power. And I'm gonna burn it all, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like. You could argue that's revealing of his character, though, is that he poses as being a liberator, but he really wants power for himself. Right. Okay, sure, yeah. Which you could also then argue is he's written that way because they can't make the revolutionary too even-handed because then it's like, oh, actually, maybe he's right. So they have to make him bad in a really yeah. superficial way. Um, that's the problem with dealing with, like, higher themes in in your movie with your villain is like you start to run into trickier problems and qu questions in terms of writing um but i do I, I i do like this one a lot i would uh as a as a whole i'm i'd rank it pretty high yeah i think it's i don't think it's perfect i would not have nominated it for best picture but on a really basic level i think that it's visualization of like an afrofuturistic science fiction society is really cool to see and it's really the only time that Afrofuturism has been able to exist on film at that scale. There's a lot of Afrofuturism in film, but it's on a, usually on a smaller budget or in a more um, intimate story. And this one gets to really, really big and epic. And I think the costume design and uh, production design are enough that I kind of brush over that the ending fight scene is awful. The yeah, music in this is also, I think the greatest in any MCU project. It was the first time where I yep. could, like, memorize, like, I remembered the music. Like, I mm -hmm. am someone who really gets attached to scores in films. And as much as, like, you know, I watched all the other MCU films and I love the I love the old Avengers theme, you know? Like, I love the that. But that was it, like, in terms of, like, oh, I can tell you what the movie that's from. But Black Panther's music was so fun and so unique and so good to the rest of it that i i feel like that is why i enjoy that movie so much is because it mm. it's i think it won the well. oscar for music I actually think so yeah. it was, at least it was nominated. definitely nominated yeah mm -hmm. yeah i know it won for production design yeah yeah, I think, yeah I think it was for music because it was i think production um, costume score and yeah, something else i'm not right. remembering because Ludwig so, Gorenson, I think, did the score for that, and I think that's his yep. Oscar. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think I remember actually when that Oscar night came out, and and Evan, you posted something on Facebook about Marvel, kind of jokingly, Marvel having more Oscars than DC, and I went on like a deep dive of like researching, yeah, how many like Oscars each had, like, and then no, you just I'm ignored it. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the one with Suicide, like the one that Suicide Squad won. And mm -hmm. then the other ones, the ones from the good movies. I was and honestly like, at a certain oh, dark, point. Well, actually, uh, Dark Knight. No, shut up, idiot. Like, that's <laughs> what I'm here for. At a certain point, I was just doing it for my own curiosity because I was like, but wait, how deep does this rabbit hole go? And I just kind of like fell into like a Wikipedia hole um, that I never came out of. <laughs> or I did come out of to post my findings and no yeah. one cared. <laughs> know your audience. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Eh? But um, yeah, I really this is a good moment from Black Panther. And honestly, like to me, a lot this movie is probably the most rich of the MCU, or one of the most rich in terms of just 
as a whole, I think there are problems with the story. Like, it's not it's not as cohesive as I think it could have been. And I do think the ending gets really muddled with the, the horrible fight between Black Panther and Killmonger, but also just, like, the excessive size of the ending I find is a detriment for what is a much more thoughtful mm-hmm. story. But there's a lot of details Damn. in the filmmaking and the characters. Did you get it? Like. It was a railroad. Oh, I get it. it. Underground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a. Don't tell me that's not cinema. <laughs> what does it mean, though? Oh, so it's symbolic of so. <laughs> hey, I, I don't mind railroad the railroad. Yeah, I, I just wish it didn't look like crap. I just wish the effects looked better than not at all. Well, the other problem with that, too, is that they set up the idea of the uh, suppressors, right? The ones that would suppress the metal or whatever on the train track or something like that. Yeah. But they didn't really use it in the fight very much. Like, it was a cool idea that they could have used. I was busy pretending I was watching Creed (laughs) and the fight scenes there, which are, like, amazing. Yeah. Which yeah. is why it's frustrating, because like the 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 two round boxing match that's done in one take is what everyone talks about. But even the final fight in Creed, which is more conventional, is like blisteringly well edited and does a perfect job weaving in like excitement and action with like the emotions of you know Adonis' story. And when you get to Black Panther and there's I'm like feeling nothing. It's like man, really wish that Coogler could have been had more control over this. Although one of the interesting one of, of the many sort of recent articles about like VFX houses coming out to about their experience with Marvel, the guy specifically talked about how um, Black Panther is an example where they don't get to consult with like the cinematographer when they're putting together shots for the fight scenes. So the reason Black Panther's fight scene feels so um, incongru- uh, incongruous with the rest of the movie is because they're making it up, not knowing what the rest of the movie looks like. So when the rest of the film is relatively grounded in terms of its action especially like the fights by the the fist fights by the waterfall and then you get to this scene where they're like free flowing through the sky and it, like there's no weight to it you know it feels more egregious because it's the movie doesn't do that elsewhere and then just yeah. in that fight scene it breaks it so all right well, i do like uh, this one yeah let's move on to our next pick evan you're up okay so this one this is a this is an Evan pick, and it's just <laughs> for me. And I don't care about anyone else. You can come at me in the comments. I won't read them. Uh, I'll probably never be back on the show anyway. So, <laughs> what I want to say is, uh, my moment is uh, my last one is in Spider-Man: No Way Home, directed by John Watts. And it's a scene, you know. I'm glad you specified that. It's a very Watts moment. (laughs) We have a scene where, you know, the three Spider Men are fighting the Green Goblin and the Sinister Five, um, you know, and they're they're all sort of struggling to work together as a cohesive unit. And we see a moment that was in the trailer. This is a moment I knew was coming. This is a moment I basically had. I predicted like through its entirety and it still hit me so so hard um when Zendaya's MJ is you know falling off of the Empire State Building uh we see Tom Holland's Peter Parker go to catch try to catch her and he's intercepted by the Green Goblin um and then we get the shot we've seen 
many times at this point of Spider-Man's love interest sort of flailing as she falls through the air. Um, and who saves her but uh, Andrew Garfield. And this is a perfect moment to me because uh, I'm an amazing Spider-Man apologist. I think they're fine. I think everyone took it a little too seriously. Um, but we finally get his redemption uh, because he was unable to save Gwen Stacy in a moment where, you know, I, we talk about moments we didn't expect them to follow through with. Uh, killing off Emma Stone's Gwen Stacy was definitely one of them. Uh, but in this moment, we see Andrew Garfield catch Zendaya and he like tears are in his eyes and I'm sitting in the theater tears are welling up in my eyes because we never got that closure for him and we were supposed to get I don't know like 11 other movies with Andrew Garfield Spider-Man <laughs> um, thank I you God <laughs> spare us you're cruel um, but merciful release release the web cut um he never got that redemption. I'm almost certain he would have in the next movie. Um, but we we understand from earlier on the film that he has been living with this moment for so long. And even if you didn't see the previous Spider-Man movies, which if you didn't, you probably weren't watching this one anyway, because it was just like a sandbox of like putting all my toys together. What if all of these Spider-Man fought at once? Um, but we know that this is important to him because he was unable to save his MJ, uh, Gwen Stacy. And it's cheesy. It's in a, in a movie full of, like, fan service moments. Um, but to me, this was the most fan service. Like, this was the moment I went to the movie and it's like, this is what I want to see. Like, you know, I knew from years before that Spite, they were all going to be in it. Like, I knew it was coming. I watched that shot in the trailer six or seven times. I'm like, that's where that's where Andrew Garfield comes in and he saves her. <laughs> um, and to have that payoff and get to see that emotion. And you know what? If he's never back, which I doubt will happen because we're going to get, like, some sort of super secret wars where they're all going to come back and Captain America is going to fight the Human Torch and they're both played by Chris Evans. Um... <laughs> <laughs> to see that character get that redemption a character that I enjoyed I one of eight people um, who really loved you and Ross uh, yeah exactly um, to get to see him redeemed not only uh, you know by by the audience I guess but also to himself was was really cool and really nice and I I will not take any criticism <laughs> I won't hear it. Oh boy. I well, you might be surprised. I mean, I think it's well known that I I do not like the Garfield Spider-Man films. I don't know if they're the worst comic book movies ever made, but they're probably the ones I hate the most. Um, but I actually don't really have an issue with this scene at all. In fact, I think like it's very fan servicey, but it's fan service done right. It's like if you're going to go to the trouble of you know, doing the big crossover, what if I played with all my action figures at once? Like, these are the moments that, like, that's why you do that. Frankly, I wish there was more stuff like this in the movie. Um, like, part of why I was ended up being disappointed with uh, uh, No Way Home is that I felt, like, as a fan service -y, 
uh, sort of shallow spectacle. It wasn't that fan servicey or spectacular. It just felt kind of like you should be excited enough just to see them in the same room, and I wasn't. Um, so this moment, I know, I actually think is is uh, a good example of what I would have liked to see more of, and I think it is well executed. It, I do think I would disagree with you slightly that I think if you haven't seen the other Spider Mans, you'd be like, "Why is he being so weird about this?" <laughs> but um, <laughs> but as like kind of like with Infinity War, where it's like you can't really watch it on its own, but as like part of a larger framework of movies, uh, it delivers what it does well, and it's also it lets Garfield be Spider-Man free from the constraints of being in terrible Spider-Man movies. Because um, I don't like this movie very much, but it's definitely better than Amazing Spider-Man 1 or 2. Um, and just generally less, like, bad. Uh, so, you know, because I, I always felt, I think a lot of people like felt bad for him, because he clearly cared a lot and wanted to, was really passionate about the character and the fans and movies were not well received and it's not really his fault. Um, so it was nice to see him um, kind of get that moment of redemption, not just for the character, but for him as an actor, get to play Spider-Man again and not be so part of a, a film that like people were really down on. Uh, so yeah, I think it's actually pretty good. I wish there was more stuff like this in the movie because you could, like, Andrew Garfield is clearly so happy to be there. Tobey Maguire's like, I'll do it, but I'm not wearing the suit that much. I'm gonna be wearing jeans. <laughs> and my great t-shirt that I've worn in every interview I've ever done <laughs> and this isn't an entirely meta moment is it like it does have correct me if I'm wrong but I think it does have set up because he does talk about like yeah, losing Emma like, Stone I, at some point right? I couldn't save my MJ right. which like hurts me because it's like no Gwen Stacy is her own you know like I felt like that kind of diminished the character because like that was the whole thing it was like oh we're not going with Mary Jane and she's someone completely new, um, but at the same time like I I guess I get it, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So he does it's say like shorthand I, too for people who I couldn't seen. Yeah, I couldn't save her and then because of that I went dark, I went mean like bad Spider Man not mm-hmm. not black suit Spider Man they make that very clear that he's never fought an alien, um, but. I will yeah. say, this is, I ended up, like, I stumbled across this on Twitter, someone shared this comic panel, and I remember wishing it was actually in No Way Home, but it's some Spider-Man story where there's, like, a crossover event, and then Green Goblin shows up, and he does he's not aware of that the Spider-Man he's confronting is his Spider-Man, and so Spider-Man makes some joke, and there's, like, a pause, and it cuts to, like, a, a close-up on Green Goblin's eye, and he just says, it's you. And Spider-Man oh. responds back, the one and only. And if so they had a that, moment like that between Toby and Willem, I'd have been like, I'm all in. That is so. That is good. a reference to the uh, Superior Spider-Man when Doc Ock took over Peter Parker's body, mm-hmm. um, and then Peter Parker came back through like the power of being the conscience or something. I don't. I didn't read it, um, but that is <laughs> that is what happened. See, they could like if they had done that moment though with like. Green Goblin. Yeah, I would have loved that. I wish there was more, because like the only reason to do that story with the act, not just like multiple Spider Man, because like you can tell a really meaningful story with lots of Spider Men, as into the Spider Verse shows. But to do it like with the old actors, where it's like pretty transparent, and like even like the 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 mechanics of the story are pretty half assed. Of like 
this the whole spell business and like why Doctor Strange even agrees to it and how whoops we didn't communicate the details before mind erasing like the entire plan like it's very thin because it's just there to get to the crossover like moments like this are I think what should that's why you do it and that's what I would like to have seen more of so yeah that's fair so I, I agree with you say, Evan in spite of I, disagreeing with you on the movie I kind of hoped there would be like a Space Jam-esque like Roger Rabbit kind of like they put Miles in the movie for a little bit I thought uh, that would have been kind of cool it would have been I guess stupid but again i love it i think i think it should be like this is a movie you got andrew Garfield, you got toby mcguire coming back we're gonna make jokes about how bad his back is we're gonna make jokes about like you know you're amazing spider-man get yeah. it because that's what like i'm something me... of a scientist myself that was yep. good that Quoting was in the memes yeah they all point um yep but yeah i'm glad you know, if this is the last we see of Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, which he's gonna fight Morbius, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> sounding more and more like it's not. Um, I'm glad he got this this moment. Yeah, I will say as much as I I rag on people on Twitter who are like hold up the Amazing Spider-Man as like back when comic book movies were good, and I'm like, oh my god, it's nice yeah. for them people who were fans of those movies. Amazing Spider-Man One is actually fun and i loved it and i saw it in theaters five times it's terrible it's yeah. arguably worse than the amazing spider-man 2 which at least i don't is think no hilariously okay, what's, stupid. what's the argument what's the, the amazing spider-man 2 is hilariously stupid and that makes it entertaining the amazing spider-man 1 is just the spider-man origin story again but more boring or everything's more it's tr the first amazing spider-man is like ooh, the dark knight was a hit let's make moody dark atmospheric uh, angsty superheroes and then Amazing Spider-Man 2 is like oh Avengers money's where it's at cram everything in all at once you have the least tonally consistent series of all time um, and also just Amazing Spider-Man 1 is really boring and bad I had and no idea you were so vitriolic towards these I, I've, I've told this story there were a many waste times. of time I won't, po I won't tell it on this podcast but I waited in line for Spider Amazing Spider-Man 1 for three hours in a line that actually never existed. It was just me sitting in the theater, waiting, playing Pokemon Crystal in an emulator on my phone. Oh boy. That that should tell you a lot about... You and know. then I went back four more times. <laughs> well, every movie needs at least one fan, and it's good that you can be the Amazing Spider-Man one, one If the fan. Amazing Spider-Man has a thousand fans, I'm one of them. If the Amazing Spider-Man has one fan, I'm one of them. If yeah. the Amazing Spider-Man has no fans, I'm dead. That's fair. Yeah, I, I, I despise those films. They are a waste of time, and uh, they only made things worse. Well, while we're on uh, No Way Home, I gotta ask, did you guys actually expect those two to show up? Yes, because the internet told me it was going to happen two years before the movie came out. Jamie I also Fox saw the film in mistake. like February, so by the time yeah, I yeah, saw yeah, it, I knew like I, I knew they were in it. I knew that uh, Aunt May was getting axed. I knew that it was going to end with uh, the world forgetting who Peter Parker is. Like I had everything because after like three days, people just did not care on Twitter, right. and I was not going to avoid it for months. But again, so. like, and here's the thing: if that movie 
was only a surprise if you had not been on the internet for I the last know. like since Spider-Verse came out. I didn't know. No, yeah, I did not on. know. I there were rumors. <laughs> it was like, you know, Andrew Garfield was kind of like, you know, oh, maybe I'm in it, but I'm not good. in it. And I'm he like was very good at keeping yeah. it under wraps. And I mean, I knew they had the oh. villains, but I'm like, no, they didn't actually get it. And maybe they got Garfield, but there's no way they got Tobey Maguire. So did I was you, genuinely surprised when he showed up. Did you watch the trailer? Well, I watched the one with uh, where Doc Ock goes on the bridge or whatever, and you get the reveal. Did you see the one where the, the lizard is jumping and he gets punched by nothing at all? No. I actually don't oh, think I saw the last trailer. That might have helped. I don't know. but I was skeptical all up until the moment they showed up on screen. I'm like, I don't think that they're actually showing up here. You're the perfect audience to see it then, because it really... It bothers me so much that they just show up like they're on SNL guest hosting, like in Aunt May's house or whatever. Not even Aunt May, it's like Ned's parents Ned's or something. Ned's grandma. Yeah. Um, and they just walk on to set like, hello, I'm here now. <laughs> um, which like, if if like if it was something totally shocking that came out of that portal, if it was like Daniel Plainview or something, I probably would have been like, whoa, like I would have marked out. But That's what I'm saying. If, if Miles Morales comes mm-hmm. out like he's Bugs Bunny in Space Jam, that's a moment. That would have been... I'd have supported that. Um, yeah, I mean... I'm not crazy about this film, but I do think, Evan, you chose a good moment from it. Yeah, it's one of only two times I cried in that movie. One, when that happened, and then once when it was over. Because it was, <laughs> I could never see it again for the first time. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you compare oh that to like my first viewing, while you turned to Brooke, I'm like... That wasn't that good. <laughs> like, immediately. No. Just tears in my eyes. Like, all right, now what? I got however many months to my wedding. What have I got to look forward to now? <laughs> well, don't worry. They'll never stop making Spider-Man movies. And I, I'll never stop going. <laughs> will be interesting to see where they take the character now. Because on the one hand, it's like they're kind of... They've sort of rebooted it in a way. Like, it's still Tom Holland, and it's still the same character, but, like, they are starting on a clean enough slate that they could go in any oh, direction he's, they uh, want. According to Kevin, he's, like, D-list now. He's, like, he he only mm-hmm. does street-level crimes. Well, apparently he is confirmed for the next two uh, the Avengers movies. Well, yeah. So otherwise, why would I go? <laughs> Why are they going to do the same thing, though, where it's, like, I'm not going to be you? an Avenger. I'm just a street-level hero, but it's, like, well, now it's time for... The big movie, so I'm an Avenger again. I'll show up and everyone be like, who are you? Like, I'm Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Remember? And then something will happen with Doctor Strange and then everybody will remember. And they'll be like, oh, Spider-Man. Damn. They probably will do that because yeah. nothing matters. Time <laughs> you. Come the, back the, to this. You heard it first. Honestly, the most telling MCU moment is probably in from the Winter Soldier to Avengers Age of Ultron where the Winter Soldier is like, Shield is done. Everything's collapsed. Hydra's been running everything. We need to destroy Hydra. And then in the first 10 minutes of Age of Ultron, it's like, we've wrapped up Hydra. And at the end of the movie, they've got helicarriers and all the gizmos again. So it's like, nothing matters. <laughs> nothing matters. Well, so. let's go to something that hopefully you feel matters. Matters to me a lot. Yeah, so... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which I am uh, very forcefully of the position that it is not only the best MCU film, but it is 
the head and shoulders the best MCU film, um, which we can... I don't know if we're going to get into the debates of that as a whole, so I'll leave that. Um, I had like a more like a smaller moment that I wanted to talk about in the nature of the show, which maybe I will bring up later, but for the sake of getting a good <laughs> debate going, I'm going to talk specifically about something I know Ian hates in this movie, which is Yondu's funeral. Which, uh, which single-handedly Yondu... ruins the movie, but anyway, continue. Yes, uh, single-handedly ruins the movie by being so beautiful. So Yondu, who is Peter's adopted father figure, and in the first Guardians is not like an antagonist strictly, he's more of a side character, but he's got a villainous streak and he sometimes works against Peter's interests and he's, you know, we see that he's cruel and abusive. This film, they kind of retcon the relationship that yes, he was still, you know, abusive to Peter in many ways and like not a good role model or father figure, but... There's more affection there than maybe the first film let on, although I would argue that the first film, nothing in it actively, like, is in conflict with the first movie, in my opinion, but um, they really play up that relationship a lot more than the first movie would have you to believe, to the point that Yondu ends up sacrificing himself to save Peter. Now, Ian, at this stage, do you have any issues so far? Is it okay that, is Yondu sacrificing Peter okay, or do you dislike this as well? Like him sacrificing himself? Just the sacrifice. Just, that's just fine. Yondu sa- dying. Yeah, Yondu fine. dying is fine, okay. It's just the funeral itself that gets too much attention. Yeah. Okay. My defense, then, of the funeral scene, and I'm actually going to root it... First, to me, it just works as an emotional beat. I think the movie does enough legwork to get you to like Yondu on his own terms, and he has enough of an arc set up with like his... his uh, failure of character with the ravagers as uh, i think that's what they're called right that old team um yep. and then redeeming himself at the end by sacrificing himself and getting the ravager funeral i think it's not just like a funeral for its own sake it's paying off a character beat for him but i think is earned and i like the character enough that I'm, I'm happy to see that um but i really think it also serves to uh develop like the core guardians team and specifically rocket who um, the film rather on the nose draws a lot of parallels between Yondu and Rocket as being these like the most sort of toxic self-destructive uh, antagonistic figures in e- each of their lives who cause trouble for really no reason and it's pretty much straight in dialogue because of like these issues of like insecurity and toxic masculinity and so when Yondu passes away and you get the Ravager funeral then Rocket has this moment of like you know He's streaming down his face talking about how, um, you know, they didn't turn their back on him, even though he was a jerk and he was hurtful and did bad things. And then he said, and even though they stole, he stole batteries they didn't need. And Peter realizes that, oh, Rocket's talking about himself. And he has this moment of understanding. And Rocket has this, like, sort of, the final shot is like him sort of teary-eyed but smiling and feeling comforted. And I like this on a strict storytelling level. The movie plants conflict between Rocket and Peter early on with them fighting over who gets to pilot the ship and then Rocket being really deliberately antagonistic and Peter calling out, like, are you just trying to make everyone hate you? And so this notion of, like, this conflict between them that's fostered by Rocket being afraid of people leaving him so that he is hostile and puts people at a distance. And I love that the the payoff to that story is not... Peter and Rocket having a moment directly. I like that it's indirectly, that Rocket learns something from another character 
and is kind of oblivious to Peter paying attention to him in this moment the way he is, that Peter clues into something about Rocket and understands him a little better and feels that they've come to a moment of peace with each other. And I love that they don't have to have, like, a discussion between them to bring that out. Because you get that with, like, uh, with Nebula and... Um, Oh my god, I'm for uh, Gamora, where they like hash out their feelings really directly. I like that this is more indirect. I think it's a really good storytelling beat, and I like that. I think it's a good use of economic screenwriting where you have like tons of characters in this ensemble, and so you're kind of paying off multiple of their stories at once. So for me, um, and then of course also in this moment you've got like a small but I think pivotal bonding moment with uh, Gamora and Peter, where they're not like. A relationship yet until they need to be in Avengers Infinity War for plot reasons but they're they still have a lot of tender feelings for each other and they're allowing themselves to be intimate but in a non-romantic way and just kind of a supportive friendship way and I think the way that it's it's uh focused in on Yondu is uh, a good way to tie up all loose ends and I also like the kind of going back to Evan's point with the oh god the sincerity with which this is treated because this movie is like one of the more full-on comedies for a lot of its runtime that the MCU has done, but this moment they really let play for a long time without jokes, without undercutting it, without treating it silly, and it's I think it's beautiful. So that's my defense. <laughs> Your defense what do you got, Ian? I haven't even made. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I will say I like the battery line a lot. Um, and I always have. It's not only does it does it show like I, I think everything you said about the conflict between the two, I like that it's not something they had to state. And it also ties back in because that was like right at the beginning, right? When he steals the when he actually steals the batteries. And even in that moment, you're like, Well, this is this is a stupid thing to do because well now you've got this like side plot this whole time with these gold people that are after you. And all because he stole these batteries. And even as like an audience member, you're like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And this makes that make sense again. My issue is with, A, I don't buy the whole Yondo was my father all along thing. Like I just, it just doesn't work for me. I don't buy it. Um, I don't think that they actually had that relationship I haven't seen that. I wasn't. I, I see what you mean that it doesn't necessarily negate anything that happened in the other movie, but I don't see that being built up until it needed to happen. And the I'll counter slightly. <clears throat> go if, for uh, it. Yondu wasn't his father; he was his daddy. That's the line oh, in the film. Okay. It may have been your father, boy, but he wasn't your daddy. Evan, where are you on this? Did you buy Yondu as the daddy? I'll be honest, I don't remember this part of the movie at all. Um, he fell asleep. I, I like when Miley Cyrus showed up at the end. That's like That was like the original, like, we're just bringing random celebrities in. Um, I no. don't even remember that. I didn't even realize it was her. Yeah. Um, no, this part is weird. Like, you get into, like a, like, a Beauty and the Beast style, like, is this a real relationship, or was this Stockholm Syndrome? Um, and I, I... I do agree in parts with Ian that, you know, this part only showed up when it became necessary. Um, but in a way, that's kind of the, the way that relationship worked. Like, 
I'm going to talk about another movie that Dan doesn't like, um, Onward, where... I like Onward. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's Adam. I can't remember. I, can't I got yelled track. at on Twitter for saying it was better than Monsters University. I got oh. ratioed for that. Uh, <laughs> gross. Um, but, you know, sometimes you don't realize there was a father figure until they're at, you know, until you look back and it's, it's very apparent. Um, Uncle Ben. Yeah. And just, Ian, if you had a good relationship with your father, you can just come out and say it. You don't have to make us feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say this, too, with regard to, like, you buy Yondu as a father figure. I think that it's a stretch, but that's also part of the point insofar as, to me, the movie really thematically is about, and this is like a cliched line now thanks to Red Letter Media, but it's about family, but it's not about family in, like, a Fast and Furious way. It's about, like actually like weighing like the weight and responsibilities of being a family and what you're willing to give for your family your family members for and what you aren't you know where like Gamora and uh and Nebula have like are both victims of an abusive parent and have in a lot of ways tunneled that hostility at each other rather than the abused uh the abusive father figure um and then you have Peter who was also a victim of child abuse but again it's like it's easy to draw it, like Dan, a very defend, like defend defend well it's it's very easy to draw like this is gonna make me sound like i'm defending child abuse but in for a penny and for a pound it's very easy to like look at things and like very arbitrary like it's the good upstanding thing or the abusive bad guy but most relationships yeah. are more complicated than yeah. that you know um and also like I think about, like, Nebula and uh, uh, Gamora when, like, she's firing, like, the giant, like, machine gun thing. Like, obviously, that's, like, an insane act of violence in real life. But in the language of the film, it's it's used as, like, an exaggeration to show a sibling conflict. So in the same way, I think you could, you could view a lot of, like, Yondu's um, transgressions in terms of, like, saying he's going to eat Peter as less literal, like, that would be horrible. Imagine if a parent said they would eat their child as not being strictly literally that, but just more metaphorically about dealing with a relationship with a parent who was not perfect, who made mistakes and was hurtful at times. And really, I think the real like abuse Peter suffered would have been instilling in Peter bad ideas about like masculinity and like what it means to be strong and tough. Because like you see it in the first Guardians movie where like he's slapping Peter and saying, "Is that what she's filling in your head, boy?" Sentiment, and he smacks him upside the head. And this yeah. is all taken from Lindsay Ellis's video essay. I should give credit so people don't accuse me of plagiarism but uh i do think that i was actually just about to accuse you of plagiarism (laughs) well you know what if it's a good point i do like that she does have a good essay on it and i I think like i I was yondi gets probably next to tony stark like the most attention of almost more than tony stark for yondu but i would argue and this is where i'm gonna lose everybody it is the most meaningful death in the MCU of a major character. Because. It's our Stark, podcast, folks. It's been real fun. Uh, just let us know in the comments what you. Tony Stark. <laughs> his sacrifice. So I his sacrifice in Endgame is the exact same character arc he had in Iron Man 1. I need to learn to put others before myself, and if that means sacrifice. To save others and so be it that's what he does when it's push the lever and shoot the beam it's also exactly what he does at the end of the first avengers when you know he 
like Captain America saying you're, you're not gonna like crawl over the wire or uh, whatever. You don't like, make the sacrifice take, play, yeah. Yeah, but he does the sacrifice play in Iron Man one, in Avengers one, and in Endgame. So like counterpoint, Dan, you let Star Lord die, and the Avengers win, and no one like half the planet doesn't disappear. I'm not talking about impactful for plot. I'm talking about like stories and emotion. Yondu's, and also because Yondu, I believe, will stay dead because unless James Gunn wants to bring him back, we're not seeing you know Michael Rooker in these movies again because he's not that in demand of a character really. But like Tony Stark, you never know if Marvel mm-hmm. like oh cameo be like Black Widow dies, but then immediately gets her own solo film. Loki has died a million times. Rene Russo dies in Thor 2, the Thorning, but then comes back in Avengers Endgame for the, the time travel stuff. Like, deaths do not matter. and But I feel like Yondu actually has a good chance of, like, staying in the ground. I think, oh, think there's another space. character. I think there's another character whose death was also important. Oh, the um, <laughs> No, I was going to say Ant- well, like. Oh, Aunt May. Yes, but no. Um, I think I think that was... I think that's a big deal. I think she's staying dead. I think that gave us uh, a different side to the the Tom Holland Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, Eh, whatever. Most meaningful death in the MCU. He's not even the most meaningful death in those movies. His more mo- meaningful? His mother was way more meaningful. Yeah, but and that's origin story stuff. That's different. More. Doesn't count, eh? Yeah. That's like saying, like, uh, most meaningful death in comics, like, Martha Wayne and Thomas Wayne. Like, come on. That's like... I'd already... That don't that's, count. That's right. What do you... <sighs> that's... No, that's, that's cheating. That's right. That's not cheating. No. Because that's, like, that's the basis of the story. I don't yeah, get that. Yeah, it though. informs <laughs> all future... Okay. But it's not the... Okay, but it's... Fair enough, but I think it's like markedly different than you know a character dying as part of someone's origin versus a character who dies in the progress of a story. I think there's a big difference between the Waynes getting killed at the beginning of Batman Begins and Rachel in The Dark Knight. Oh yeah, because we didn't like Rachel. I liked Rachel. Um, well, clearly James no, Gunn agrees with you because he gave him the most extravagant funeral that any movie character was, has ever had in the history of movies. It was beautiful. It was Ugh. great. It was a touching moment. It paid off Yondu's character. It paid off Rockets. It gave closure to Peter. It allowed growth for Peter and uh, Gamora. Uh, didn't do much for Drax, but he got to be there. That's you know nice for him. Brute's a baby. He don't know, but you know you get a great Cat Stevens song. What okay. can you complain about? They could have scaled it back a bit. No, scale yes. it up. I wish it was a full hour. I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was like Koyana Scotsy. It was like this abstract, Ugh. like landscape shots of Yondu's funeral. Um, no, I, I, I will defend this uh, to the ends of the earth. I think really? it's easily the most impactful MCU death in terms of not in terms of plot. In terms of but in parameters, terms of, like, terms of your very said. specific parameters, yeah, yeah, okay. very specific parameters of like emotion <laughs> and theme. I'm really like really the narrow idea. The most impactful death in Guardians of the Galaxy two of a death of a blue of a blue character is. Well, I mean, yeah, he would be. So again, another point in Daniel's column. I stay winning. 
Um, let, let us know in the comments below who you think. I think I've made my case very well. I, I feel very confident about this. I felt better about this death than I did, like, would you, Ian, do you think, like, Thor's mom's death, her funeral is overblown? Is that, I think it's a well-done scene, but I'm like, I don't, I'd feel nothing for this character. You'd say Peter and Yondu's relationship isn't what they needed it to be, but at least there's a relationship there. Yeah, no, When that's he fair. dies. I'm not, Thor's I'm not putting this against the is dark Thor world. being like, I have to go, and she's like, okay, son. No, At what point Thor's did I say mom was, the dark Thor's world is a better move, has a better... <laughs> I just wanted a like a, a, a comparison and a frame of reference for like okay. overblown funerals. Because you got three big ones. That's fair. Tony Stark in Endgame, which yeah. makes sense. Uh, and I like that scene. I'm not, even though I think they've repeated Tony's arc a lot and just doing the same thing with him, I think that scene's well done. I actually wish the last shot of the movie was the proof that Tony Stark has a heart and that Captain America dancing with um, Peggy, because I don't care about that relationship at all. Um, and I just think Ouch. that's like the least interesting thing you can do with Captain America. But um, but yeah, you get Tony's funeral, Yondu's funeral, and uh, Thor's mom's funeral, whose name was Rene Russo. Um, <laughs> I, I think those are the big ones. Yeah. I guess Aunt May's funeral, where it was Peter and uh, Happy. Yeah, it wasn't really a funeral, but funeral, I, just hanging I, I think I think that comparison between is it Freya, right? That's actually her name, or is that just I'm just pulling out Norse I think mythology it is Freya. names. I think um, it is. is not a death. Freya Russo is not for um, Thor. Like that that death is for Loki, uh, and I think it is quite impactful. Um, I yeah, I don't, I didn't see that. I don't remember the movie at all. It's, <sighs> I mean, Dark World is poopy pants. We all agree on that. Um, I think Tom Hiddleston sells that loss. I just that to me is a funeral, and I like that scene fine. I think the score is really actually very pretty in that scene, so I'm not gonna complain about it too much. But that to me is a way more egregious. Like, why is this character getting so much pomp and circumstance? Especially because it's also like just in the middle of the movie. Whereas Guardians of the Galaxy Two, you could argue it's also like just know a conclusion to the story it wraps it up so but just because that funeral exists that i never brought up doesn't mean that you are you won your point <laughs> that this I'm funeral bringing... is extravagant it is extravagant <laughs> and i will say like the first time i saw the film i was a little bit like oh they're really going all out for yondu but i don't know even the first time i saw it though i was like is it really beautifully done little sequence and on rewatches it's it's meant, meant even more to me this is the only MCU film I would consider getting on Blu-ray, so. I, I'm sorry. I'm still stuck at the Yondu's death is the most impactful death in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. But that that leads to a question, though, you guys. Do you think is, there's going to be... What is the least impactful death? <laughs> Agent Coulson. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even get me started on that. Oh, God, he died. Oh, <laughs> Do you think we're going to get any more <laughs> impactful deaths? Or are we now into a cycle where anybody can come back and nothing is going to mean anything? Because I'm starting that's to feel comics. that way. That's comics, though. Yeah, but it doesn't yeah, have to be the movies. It needs to be a side character like Yondu. Yeah. It's why yeah. I thought Vision dying in Infinity War was like, well, there's no way they're bringing him back. But yeah, but they, they did. did. For, uh, Loki, they Wonder did. Vision. And Loki, I would yeah. say, impacted yeah, Thor Loki... pretty heavily. Like Loki's Loki actual death, but mm. 
But yeah, you know, he's back with and a terrible And apparently Thor's going to be in WandaVision, or WandaVision Loki Season 2. So even like that death meaning a lot to Thor, at least, is kind of going to get, like, not taken away, but at least softened. Is there an impactful death? Um, I'm trying to think, who could they kill off in the next one? Like, Ant-Man? Like, who, who could be, who's the big death of Phase, like, Six. Maybe Thor if Chris Hemsworth decides he's done. Like, yeah, no, but I just, everyone else is. I think they're too. I think even with secondary characters, they're too scared at this point. They want to keep them all in their pocket for whatever might be coming. Well, the other question is like, and this is something Ian, the film junk, or the podcast you and I both listen to, Film Junk, discussed a couple weeks back, is like, who are the current stars of the MCU? Because before it was very easy to be like. Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth. Those are your big three. Now it's like... And I, I guess Scarlett Johansson to a lesser extent, even though it took her forever to get her own solo movie. Um, but like now, it's like, I guess Chris Hemsworth. Although, after that last Thor movie, I do not care what they do with that character at all. Um, clearly, they wanted Chadwick Boseman to be that, and he would have been were it not for his uh, tragic passing. So it's like, you got Thor, and you've got... I guess Hulk, but he's not got his own solo movie in ages, and he's not doesn't seem to be getting one anytime soon. And frankly, that character, the way they've positioned him, he's so much like a supporting character. I don't know Very how they so. would even sustain his own film. Um, it's like they're kind of setting up Benedict Cumberbatch as the center, but I don't know yeah. how that's if yeah. it's working. But no, I don't either. And like. I really liked like Wanda, not... but I liked that the that she got sort of wrapped up in uh, Multiverse of Madness. I don't know if she's going to come uh, back. You're a fool, she will Dan, come back. to think that she's wrapped up. Well, I mean, okay. <laughs> Did you see her die? In the context of a character arc, if they never brought her back, she would have been wrapped up pretty well. Yeah, but You are right. But that's that's what day. I'm saying, is that are we ever going to reach a point where somebody gets to wrap up their arc and are done now, unless the actual actress says, there's no way I'm coming back? No. Well, have no. we ever been at that point? Because I don't know if we're, if we're like, I, I'm not ruling out that Chris Evans or Robert Downey Jr. come back, even if it's just for a cameo. I hope they don't. I don't think It's why, will. like, and it's always a paranoia with comic book stuff in general. Like, after I saw Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, the very first thing I did was texted my buddy Miles and was like, Wolverine's not in this. Because I know he was worried about it. We didn't even talk about it, but I know he was as worried about it as I was. It's like, Hugh Jackman does not come back. It's like, I really don't want that to ever be, you know, like, it's like Captain Kirk coming back after Star Trek Six, And it's like, no, yeah, you were done. And it was perfect. Yeah. No, hey. especially... Because that was just—he just dies on some desert planet, whatever. Anyway, um, no, I don't. Inside the Space Mountain ride at uh, Disneyland California, <laughs> there's a big like f- like back to tank, okay? And there's a sign underneath that says "In case of emergency, break glass." And that's where they keep Tom Holland. <laughs> and when they need a star, he's gonna come back. He's gonna lead the the young Avengers. The street. He's gonna lead Daredevil and Luke Cage or whoever the next inc- like. That's this is the interesting thing though is he's their biggest star now, but he's like he's technically not Disney, so it's tricky. So. No, I think I think Sony's gonna see the how much money they can make, and they're like, you know what, you got it, Walt, go for it. 
Yeah. Maybe. It's a little more and then if, than that. If not, they're going to take him back and then they'll get hacked again or some huge scandal. But I do wonder to what extent the No Way Home reset was born out of that uh, brief, excuse me, brief period where Sony was like, we're done working with uh, Marvel. Like there was some like, basically they were forcing renegotiations with the character and I wonder if No Way Home's ending was in part the result of that. It's like, we don't like how this character is so defined by MCU shit, we want to be able to do our own things with him. So now they've put him on a clean slate where they can have him do whatever they want. Yeah, that's very possible. I think it was all a lie, and we were tricked, and it was just to make sure that you went to see the movie. <laughs> I, think it was, I don't think it was ever real. Well, if that's the case at work, because yeah. a lot of people went to see that movie. Yeah. A yep. lot. And nothing else. I'll never forgive it. And that's why Evan hated West Side Story, because I was bitter about Spider-Man taking West Side Story's money. Mm, what, <sighs> what movie? West Side Story. Who was in that one? Uh, it's uh, um, Spider-Man. He was in that. Oh, Spider-Man was in it? Oh, nice. <laughs> Damn, I no. had that to the list. It's one of the few movies actually recently that I don't think there's any actors who've had an MCU credit in. That's a very comforting thought. No, but I think... I think... Is it Ansel? That's his name? I think he Ansel Elgort? I think he auditioned to be Spider-Man. Probably. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, glad that that didn't work out. I'm sure Sony is very happy that they went with Tom Holland. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know. And that's, again, like... Not to bring it back to arguing for my boy, but I think that's partly why Yondu works for me as well as it does, is I really do believe, like, he's not coming back. Because, again, like, from... I can't imagine Disney being like, we gotta bring back Yondu, (laughs) you know? (laughs) The fans demand Yondu. Like, the only way he comes back is if James Gunn wants to bring him back. And he might, but I think he stays dead. Yeah, we'll see. If part of what makes a character death matter is just you as an audience miss seeing them, yeah, I think it'll, uh, I think it'll hold up. I, I don't think eh, this don't is a, a hot take at all when I say that this is the most impactful death in the MCU. I think this is a very sane and logical position. All right, fight me, nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, um, should we just maybe say what our favorites out of the franchise are? I think we kind of brought it up. Yours is clearly Guardians 2. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of go between... Um, I like Guardians 1 a lot, but I kind of go between the Infinity War endgame. The funny thing is, is despite the fact that Guardians 2 is my number one of the bullet, Guardians 1, when I made a list, was like 15 or something. Like, it was not very high. Yikes. I made a list somewhere. Let me find that. It's brutal. Um... Infinity War was my favorite far and away until No Way Home came out. Um, I still think Infinity War is, is better. Like, I think it's a better movie, but just my, my personal connection to Spider-Man is what uh, what puts No Way Home in it for me. And we got to see Andrew again. I'm glad he, he's getting work. <laughs> yeah, he, he does really make struggle. other movies. <laughs> what? Isn't it like no. an Oscar no, no, no. nominee the same year? <laughs> Tick, no, boom. he no, was great he was, in that. He was That's just, actually one of his best performances. No, he was just Spider-Man. <laughs> He's Eduardo. Maybe to you. Yeah, Eduardo Saverin. Oh yeah, 
Well, okay, yeah, but Guardians that's not him. Galaxy 1 was exactly 14 when I made my list rank. What is wrong one. with you? What the heck do you have? Okay, give me a... What's 13? Uh, what was 13? Uh, Thor Soldier. Ragnarok. Oh, which okay. might go down in retrospect because yeah, I hate Thor 11 Thunder Thor so much. <laughs> so um, it retroactively makes you dislike this one? Kinda. Now, do you it's think... Like, okay... Back to it's like when you get like when you get really drunk one night on like Fireball and you throw up and you can never drink Fireball <laughs> again. And, like I got drunk on Taiko ITT. I'm like, oh no! Every time I I think about his movies, I can feel my stomach churning. Okay, tying it back to Evan's uh, Infinity War moment about the. Do you think Taiko ITT might have made an asthma joke at the end? <laughs> I think there's a strong possibility might that he would have made Evan's have. asthma joke. I do think it would have been hysterical, joke, though, if in Infinity War, when everyone got wiped out, Captain America went, that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have laughed. So are we going to talk about that? or <laughs> Get Steve Urkel to come out. Did I do <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, um, boy. Yeah, I think I, it's funny, though. Like I, Most of us, I think, would have, or all three of us do have like Avengers 3 and 4 near the top. Um, it's just, it, which I think speaks strongly to their quality. Yeah, I, it's just crazy that they pulled that off, something of that scale. Um, yeah, and I think they're still having you trouble guys, coming down from the high from Endgame. Like they, they are. Oh they yeah, really, they should have really, waited. Really Absolutely. I would have loved to see them actually. Like, I know they wouldn't have taken a lot of time, but even just a cut, like two or three years, because then even if they put out the next MCU project, was just kind of like just a, like a b-level project i think people would just be so excited that it's back and that's why jurassic world did so well when it came out like in hindsight i think a lot of people are like that movie's kind of bad but at the time it was so exciting because there hadn't been a jurassic park in forever that yeah, uh that's true people were willing to overlook a lot of that movie's annoying habits now look what we've got i don't know i didn't see the last one but i heard it was quite bad i kind of want you to see it <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, that's that's horrible. Oh yeah, it was brutal. It was it was bad. I've never walked out of a movie. I thought about it for Thor: Love and Thunder, but within the first ten minutes, I almost whispered to to Brooke, just like, "This is really bad." But I'm like, I don't want to do that in case she's really enjoying it. She was not, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> never know. Um, so, I will say that like clearly, I have like a bit of a hot take for my number one MCU. Um, which Evan has yelled at me for in the past. That's fine. And I'm wondering, like, what are your guys like? It's surprising that you have it that high. MCU movies, if there are any. Hmm. Um, well, well, I'm kind of like, you know, I am Joe movie goer. Like, let them fight and then make it explode, and I'll be excited. I, I like Winter Soldier a lot for a long time. Winter Soldier is one of the strongest. And I guess, I you know, like, from a, a perspective of, like, I just like when they make funny jokes to each other and punch. Like, I like when Spider- like, what is it? The thing I say is, like, I like when Spider-Man hangs out with his friends. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's cool that Winter Soldier was so cool to me. I think- Well, I don't think that's a hot take, though. I think a lot of people like Winter Soldier. Like, it's a- yeah. uh, it is one of the top ones. We didn't bring up any of the Captain Americas, but um, Winter Soldier. Well, Civil is War really... is Civil War is an Avengers movie. Like that's 
Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just Avengers Jr. It's <laughs> Avengers Jr. I like that. Uh, I think, I would say, yeah. I know you're on board with me, uh, Daniel, but I think a lot of people rag on Iron Man 3, and I do think it's, I think people need to give that a another look, because I think it's a really fun, solid action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think, like, people being mad about the Mandarin twist, first of all, I highly doubt the people who are like, I can't believe they did that. It's like, do you read the comics? Like, do you actually like the Mandarin as a character? Like, because if, if not, why are you mad about this? The Mandarin just was great. I was laughing like crazy. It's, yeah, it's I love it. Also, like, it's the Mandarin. Who cares? Like, I know people are like, imagine if they did that with the Joker. It's like, no, because that character means a lot more than the Mandarin does. <laughs> and he's also not rooted in a racist stereotype, so that helps. So, oh, I thought that twist was fun. That's the highlight of the movie. <laughs> Not in the plane scene, which is awesome. I also think Ant Man is more fun than a lot of people like to seem to think it is. So, mm. I prefer the sequel. Oh, really? Now that yeah. okay, interesting. Now I, but I will say I watched the sequel like casually on Netflix, which yeah, obviously is like different expectations. And I did not like I was like whatever. It's Ant Man and the Wasp. So when I was like, oh, this is actually kind of fun. I that might have boosted my enjoyment more than I had I paid you know 12 bucks to see it in a theater and tying back the uh to your to your one moment in Thor like or the Thor moment the end credits it is crazy how important that end credit scene in that Ant-Man movie was like yes that's a yeah. pretty big deal and they just did it as an after credit scene because mm. that had huge implications yep. for Endgame and yeah yeah, I mean, I mean, I will say like you don't, you don't need it to make sense of Endgame strictly. They give you enough, but mm-hmm. yeah, it is the most like consequential for. And it was also like a very like effective tease in terms of like tension, because usually the teases are like, "Ooh, what's that? What's coming?" But this was like, "How is he gonna get out of this scenario?" Yeah, which is, uh, you know, which was exciting. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, are we done? I think we're. I think so. We've done it. We've we're marveled out. Yeah. Well, we've been marveled for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's funny? I thought the vibe here would have been Evan. You would have been much more like holding the flag high. I wish I was. And you know, like that's kind of like my my persona at work, right? It's like I'm the the Mm. superhero guy, and I feel like guilty, kind of about it. Sure. But at the same. at the same time, like when they did all the announcements at Comic Con, and I'm like, you you just feel the fatigue set in. You're like, oh, holy cow, there's so much. But then at the same time, yeah. I'm kind of like, oh yeah, but that's sort of interesting. Oh, and that's sort of interesting. Oh, Captain America well, four. Okay, we'll see. We'll see what they do. I I will see the movies I see. I will skip the ones I don't. Like I'm very much just the sort of way I'm. If I don't go opening weekend the chances of me seeing the movie are almost zero at that point. Huh. Um, and I, I do that more during the school year because I don't want the kids to spoil it for me um, or to like have it spoiled, so I'll go like the Thursday or whatever it is. But if I don't see it opening weekend, I probably won't see it. And, you know, I, I got my scene points loaded. Like, if I, if I have time <laughs> to go, I'll go. If not, it'll be on Disney+. Plus. I can watch it eventually and... Until Disney Plus jacks up the price in November. And I will 
it is the one streaming service that I pay for that I don't steal from my family, so I will continue <laughs> to pay it so I don't lose access to everything else. Well, if you pay for it at the normal price it is now, it'll be that version is going to be with ads, and then the premium version, which is ad-free, is going to be like eleven ninety nine a month. So, um, or at least that's the plan that I've read. I've put together a watch list so I can try to binge through everything I want mm. to see on it before. Because Disney Plus in Canada is kind of rad. You've got like, (laughs) you have like Spike Lee and Michael Mann movies there, rubbing elbows with you know Cinderella three, A Twist in Time. Um, I will say though, as much as we've been like, ah, the MCU is in its flop era, the teaser for Black Panther: Wakanda Forever is excellent. Yeah, so fingers crossed. Sure, hope that movie doesn't do poorly. I kind of just like I, Ryan Coogler is one of the more interesting filmmakers I think in the MCU, and he seems to be, in part because of the, the material lets him express himself a bit more vividly than like Peyton Reed gets to. Not that the Ant Man movies are poorly made; they're fine, but there's nothing where it's like you really feel the presence of a director. Coogler I think comes through, so fingers crossed. But I do like that teaser a lot. So awesome. Between it and Avatar 2, it's going to be a good uh, season for water and movies. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. I'm very excited for Avatar 2. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Evan, thanks for coming on. Thank, thank you for having me. Yeah. I'm hoping that uh, I'll be better received on this podcast than I was on <laughs> Diagetic Pixels. But uh... Let us know if you like Evan. <laughs> <laughs> don't um, tell me, please. Yeah, don't tell Evan unless it's nice. Um Evan, do you have anything to promote while you're here? Um, not particularly. I stream sometimes. I haven't in a while because life's been very busy. So if I can promote anything, go watch Ross's YouTube videos. YouTube.com slash Ross. I don't know how the YouTube ads work. but And also leave in his comments that you really want him to watch the Yu-Gi-Oh! movie. Uh, <laughs> I'm really trying to get people to watch the Yu-Gi-Oh! movie and like as like a criticism because i think it's funny it's fair <laughs> speaking of ross's about that for speaking of ross's anyway. channel uh is he gonna invite you back daniel for high school musical the musical the series are you guys gonna watch the whole series now we did I think actually you have discuss to. that when we recorded and i think the, the, the uh, consensus was unanimously no <laughs> i i just want ross to have me on and we can do like uh, a retrospective of like all the movies that had like that were the result of like TV tie-ins for like toys. So like your your Yu-Gi-Oh, the Beyblade movie where like Moses parts the the sea with a Beyblade. Like I, I gotta go. Be fun. You gotta go back to the source and watch what Ian has called my favorite Orson Welles movie, Transformers <laughs> the movie. Oh uh, yes. Um. Which, uh, he's 100% right. It's definitely my favorite Orson Welles film. Yeah. It's definitely mine. <laughs> that and his wine ads. Ah, the French. He's great. All right. Oh, cool. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I hope, uh, I hope it does well. I hope this one does numbers. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you know how yeah. the numbers are. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ian, do you have anything to promote this week? I do not. You? I mean, just check out Eyebrow Cinema. I haven't posted a new video since uh, DVD Dumpster Dive Part 2, but I finished the script for the next one, so... Perfect. Oh, yeah, tell Eyebrow Cinema you wanted to watch the Yu-Gi-Oh! movie. 
<laughs> I've seen the Yu-Gi-Oh movie. With me. We, yeah, together. I don't know. If it was public domain, we could do like a live commentary, but it's not, so we can't. Uh, only only 40 more years. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure I'll still be making videos then. <laughs> Hopefully I'll have like at least 10,000 more subscribers. So... All right, everybody, tweet at us at cinema underscore seconds and let us know what your favorite Marvel moments are. Because Marvel's got a lot of moments, so uh, what? which ones did you like? Which lines? Which little fight bits? Let us know. You could argue there are more moments than movies. <laughs> you could. Like, I, I don't mean that inherently as a criticism, but it's like a TV show. Like, when you think about, like, favorite moments more so than even, like, scenes. Yeah, that's fair. That's it. We'll see you next week. <laughs> All right, I've been Ian. And I'm Daniel. And we'll see you next time. Have a good night. <laughs>